Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Here's my question for you to start a, what hopefully is going to be a good Thursday, Kevin. You ready? Mark, you can chime in as well. Let's hear it. Mark usually wakes up about 8.15. You don't do the cereal anymore, Mark. You used to. I mean, I've been doing the cereal at home, but I don't really... It's too much to bring here. It's just a lot of lot yeah, to do. So I eat like a banana on the drive-in or maybe some toast or something. I've been doing eat that. Eat it on 465? Yeah. <laughs> do you, well, you, just, you, you just drive with your knees sure. at that point. Oh, yeah. Sure. This headset's not working. Um, is it possible, Kevin, to have a silent 51-point game? Um... Because I feel like last night, I'm at the Pacer game. My buddy Aiden Jett joined me. We're watching the game, and Giannis is so impressive and so unique in his skill set and his fluidity, just everything about him. I mean, he's really impressive to watch. And he's got a 38.17 rebound, 12 assist, triple-double going, right? He had a triple-double midway through the third quarter. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Aiden's like, Hey, Drew Holiday's got 41 or 42. And I'm like, what? I mean, you knew he had a good game. But it felt like they were going through Giannis, which was opening things up for Drew Holiday as opposed to Drew Holiday taking over like in a Kyrie-type sense. Yeah, I think, you know, because I I watched the whole game and I thought I've always just loved Drew Holiday. I think I've told this story before. My dad taught in Wayne Township for 30 years and one of his favorite students is Lauren Chaney. So... Uh, it was married to Drew Holiday, so I've always just, you know, enjoyed getting to whatever follow his career, and seems like a great individual, and all of those things. Jake, I would th- say the thing that stands out about his game last night—he had 51. How many threes did he hit? Right. He's a six-four guard that scored 51 points. He didn't hit eight threes. He didn't make 15 free throws. I don't recall too many dunks he had. The dude made 17 two-point shots in the game. And for a 6-4 guard, that is probably like where the quiet nature comes into play. He's not pulling up from volleyball lines. Again, he didn't live at the free throw line. He wasn't dunking on everybody. It was just what Drew Holiday does. And I know we get into this debate, and Jake, you've been inside so many locker rooms, and I feel like the most popular debate you hear inside of an NFL locker room is, who's the best basketball player in this locker room? That is the debate every time we go into an NFL locker room. Drew Holiday could play in the NFL. I'm convinced he could play Major League Baseball, and I'm convinced he could play soccer at a really high level. He is such a skilled athlete. He's quick. He can jump. He can finish with both hands. He's strong. Everything. He is just... he, He... I've... So that's before. That family is going to save U.S. men's soccer right there. Their son will be the greatest soccer player this country's ever seen. On, on, on the on the no men's side. No pressure on the kid. Zero pressure whatsoever. Call me Earl Woods. Um, call me Richard Williams. Uh, their, their son, and I believe they have a daughter as well. Their son with the combination of one of the best women's soccer players this country's ever seen and the athleticism of Drew Holiday. 
the savior well, to the U.S. men's the, national team. The daughter team. could be the best female soccer player, right? Certainly. Of course, women's soccer we're already good at. Uh, men's soccer the, we are not. The um, the One of the greatest tweets I've ever seen, and for those that aren't on Twitter, which I realize is a, a lot of people, every once in a while you'll see a tweet, which is a just a posting, basically, from just some, you know, it, that's gone viral that like, you know, 900,000 people have retweeted it and, you know, whatever else. And then you look, it's just some guy, just some guy that works at a paint store in Altoona, Pennsylvania, that's got 800 followers. And that was the case when Aaron Holiday was drafted. Aaron Holiday, the youngest brother of Drew Holiday. Of course, Justin Holiday, who also was a pacer, was already in the league. So Aaron Holiday's drafted into the NBA. This was right at the time when LeVar Ball was like, you could not like turn the corner without running into a different clip of LeVar Ball doing something. And somebody sent a tweet that said, I don't know this Holiday fella, but he just got his third son into the NBA before LeVar Ball. <laughs> it's the greatest tweet ever. It's true. I have no idea who Drew Holiday and Aaron Holiday and Justin Holiday. Do the They're- ages add up? Wasn't the youngest ball still a little bit younger? I think the youngest ball, yeah, might have been, yeah. But the yeah. point being, I mean, sure. that's all you heard about from LeVar Ball, but, you know, forever and never heard much about the Holiday guy. But. And obviously, the Holiday brothers, I mean, Drew is so unique from his other two brothers, not to act like, you know, they're lacking athleticism. Clearly, they're in the NBA, but he's just a different, he's a different cat and he's incredible talent and he was outstanding last night. A good Thursday morning to you. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, and Mark Dykton here. I believe it's supposed to be a pretty nice day before the rain comes into town tomorrow. Again, two days away from the Final Four. We're going to catch up with Bo Borowski. Um, you've heard him on this program before. Um, he's refereed several Final Fours. Um, he retired from officiating. Was it last year, Jake? Two years now that he's... Uh, I th- Okay, yeah, that's right. Two years. Well, when was the my years all run together? And I apologize. Uh, well, the Carolina Duke Final Four was last year, right? Yeah, was he? He was in that. He okay. did the Carolina so just Duke one game, year, and he now runs uh, an organization. Well, not organization. He runs a website called RefQuest, which is partnered with the. In, he can elaborate further, but the NCAA and I think IHSAA as well, or some of the IHSAA associations use it, but. Essentially, if you are an official in the NCAA and you work, let's say, typically Missouri Valley games, if I'm not mistaken, and my understanding is vague, but RefQuest is the website where those guys go on to get their game assignments, and then in it, there are videos on there of the previous week's games of calls that were both correct. You know, hey, here's a unique play. Be aware of this kind of a play. This is what happened in the Northern Iowa Tri-State game, you know, whatever. And or you know, here's here's one that was called wrong, etc. He he operates that now. Um, he's going to join us at eight thirty, and then Joel Erickson at nine. You know, just based off where the time slot is for the show, we haven't had a chance to really catch up with anybody um, from out there at the league owners meetings. Um, but Joel sat down with Shane Sykin and Chris Boward and Jim Ursay, so I do want to get some perspective with. Someone that was there on that, make sure that, you know, the comments that we're seeing, you know, provide a little context around it. So, um, Joel's going to join us coming up at nine. Uh, any sort of interest in today's major sporting news? Depends on what you list as major sporting news. You're referring to Indiana's revolving door. 
of the portal tra- the transfer portal. Yeah, maybe I could have been a little bit clear on that, but the fact that like we don't lead off the show, nor is it like top of mind that today is MLB opening day. Does that tell you everything you need to know about baseball right now? The problem with MLB opening day, and I am, I, I actually have something that I want to do with you guys about Major League Baseball. Um, I think, Kevin, that Major League Baseball opening day has been watered down a little bit based on when they started like staggering it out. Well, now it's everybody's playing. Uh, no, I understand. But like we got into the habit of, remember when opening day for a couple of years, that maybe it was just one year, but they did like teams played in Japan. Oh, yeah. Was, like a week earlier. Mm-hmm. It was Seattle and Oakland, yeah. I think, were in Japan. And then like it was kind of staggered out. Uh, it is fun. I, I, I think that there are two things I think that, well, three. There are three factors, I believe, that go into this, to your point. The first being we're not obviously in a major league city. But that can be offset if the Reds or the Cubs, which are the two primary teams that people are, are psyched about in this market, usually Cardinals, Cardinals fans as about well, to call in. Cardinals as well. But the Reds and Cubs are the two that that I think have probably the biggest fan base here, and the Reds and Cubs have the most transcendent fans. In other words, Cardinal fans are going to be there all the time, right? But Reds and Cubs fans. <clears throat> There's really very little expectation for either team this year. That probably has a factor as well. Um, And then the third being just it hasn't – this is the biggest one, I think. The weather hasn't necessarily tipped you off to the fact that it's right around the corner. You know what I mean? When it's like 50 and gray every day, you forget that spring is upon us and the boys of summer are about to get going again. Yeah, I would think this is honestly one of the better opening day weather here in the Midwest than we – typically have had i mean i remember you know reds games being postponed on opening day and just because the cubs are at home right mark yeah yeah they take on the brewers yeah yeah. we talked to tucker barnhart about that yesterday i I am certainly curious i'm not gonna act like i'm gonna be running to the tv to watch endless mlb games because the rule changes are in place but i am curious um I, i think the numbers from spring training were very interesting and not only the shortening of games by about 20 25 minutes but you still had a few more balls put in play, guys getting on base, stolen bases. Maybe I'm in the minority, but I kind of like when baseball gets a little small ball. I, I I've always yeah. enjoyed the you know kind of plotting rather Cardinal runners around and you know building into an inning. And again, the stolen base, limiting pickoffs this year. That seems to be something that's going to be more in play. I mean, Tucker mentioned it yesterday. As a lefty, he enjoys the ability to kind of roll the ball over and you know get on base. So I'm very curious just to see kind of how all of that will play out. Again, all 30 teams in action today. I think the Reds are at 410 hosting Pittsburgh Cubs. Well, where are you going to go? With the <laughs> Brewers. Of course, that was Bob Castellini. Is that right, Mark? Yep. Last mm-hmm. year? The infamous. Was it last year? Uh, something like that. Yeah, a year or two. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing says welcome back from COVID, fans. Where are you gonna go? You gotta watch our god awful team. Don't look now, but here come the Red Legs. Now you, Kevin. I'm I do curious. think Hunter Green. You know, if he pitches all 162 games, the Reds might have a chance. He'll be on the mound today. You and I. One of the things we have in common is we like the Reds. That's our team. Um, but I'm curious where your fandom originates because they've been bad your whole life basically right uh well yeah right 
90 they won a World Series, and I was, you know, teething at that point. Um, yeah, they've been awful, really. You know, 2012, up 2-0 in the Giants. That was probably the one time. Uh, closest team to where I grew up. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm kind of a... I love, like, geography maps, that sort of thing. Really just kind of followed in my brother's fandom footsteps. He's five and a half years older than me, so... He got out a map and said, all right, what's the closest MLB team? And boom, it's Cincinnati. And we're going to be there today. We're, we're, we're going to be there later today. Uh, Mark and you will be doing the show tomorrow. A little spring break trip uh, for the Bowen family. And again, this probably sums up where baseball is, Jake. I had no idea it was opening day. And we planned this trip months ago. And then like a week ago, I'm like, wait, we're going to have Tucker Barnhart on next week. We're going to be in Cincinnati. I wonder if it's opening day. Are you going to the Reds games? No. Because they play Pittsburgh, right? No. So they don't play tomorrow. Yeah, you they, know, always, the, they always do that. So MLB's yeah. got the big opening day today. We'll, we'll get down there, you know, honestly, probably right around first pitch. But um, I am looking forward to just seeing what the atmosphere looks like because, you know, if you are in Cincinnati today, Jake, to your point, oh, I mean, it's a holiday, it, it, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's day off work. And yeah. yeah, it is a huge, huge day. So again, Major League Baseball opening day, if you're looking to get the Indians. Um, here locally, they will have a home series starting tomorrow night. Obviously, weather permitting on that one. And then Saturday and Sunday will be day games for their season. I think we've talked about this before. Mark, you've mentioned it because of your dad's fandom. Uh, a couple of years ago, I, three year, well, it was when they had a really good year, so it would have been two years ago. And we're sitting there on the couch one day, and I just said, we should go to a White Sox game. Mm-hmm. Just bought tickets, drove up for – it was a – like a businessman special. I think it was a two o'clock start or something. And just drove up and I mean, we were back. We were back in time for dinner, but it's only from door to door. And obviously you have the curveball of Chicago traffic if you get the wrong spot there on the south side. But two and a half hours probably. Yeah. Not door bad. to door to the stadium. And I thought it was a pretty cool stadium. I mean, I've seen games there before, but it was enjoyable. And again, the White Sox, good or better, I should say, than the other team. I mean, if you look at, you know, when. Loss over unders for the Midwest teams. The White Sox, Cardinals, and the Guardians are all vastly above. I mean, I mean, I guess the Cubs aren't as bad as what the Reds are going to be projected to be, but it's always good for the Reds when you start with the Pirates. <laughs> Probably good for the Pirates when you start with the Reds. Touche. That's a good point. Touche. Very good. That's Very good point. It's like the Spider-Man gif, right? From yeah. Mark Dykin. Uh Marcus Stroman, is that right, Mark? Uh-huh. Opening day? Yep. And then do we know, is Tucker, we probably should ask him yesterday, Tucker Barnhart kind of like every other day, specific I believe he's starting today. Pitchers. I'm, I think he's kind of, it's him and Jan Gomes, so I believe he's the main starter. So that'll be uh, nice to follow that as he continues the Midwest tour. Uh, Jake, I, it almost seems like, again, the Pacers have been peeking around the corner with the white flag. I think now they're just waving it. Think I so? mean, again, last night. Uh, yeah, Halliburton and Heald and Turner are all out. Fourth straight game. and like Again, I, I've got no issue with it whatsoever, but the Pacers clearly are playing the youth here to close out the season, and looking for wins is not the top priority. I didn't see... I'm trying to think. I, I guess Turner was there. I didn't see him last night. Yeah, Turner and Halliburton were both on the bench. I per, saw Halliburton. Per, he was wearing a White Sox hat, as a matter of fact. Um, wouldn't he be a Brewers fan? You would think. Yeah, he was. Um, he was talking to a lot of the Bucks players. It was interesting. Joe Ingles plays for the Bucks during one of the timeouts. 
you know how sometimes during a timeout, guys that are not playing will, you know, kind of drift away from the huddle, kind of look around. Sure. They got their hands in the in the pockets of their sweatpants. They're just kind of looking around. So there was a timeout, and I see Joe Ingles, and he's kind of drifting away from the huddle, drifting a further away. And with each timeout, he would get like a little bit further away. Finally, one time there was a timeout, and I kid you not, Joe Ingles was like five feet from the half-court line. And then I looked to my right, and Jordan Wara is doing the same thing for the Pacers. And they're kind of talking back and forth. Both, Former teammates, of course. Yeah, in a jovial sense. And you could tell both of them are like, I don't know if we're supposed to like go any drift away any further. And then finally they both were like, ah. And they walked over and during a timeout gave like a kind of a high five and two or three words. You know, they're probably buddies, I'm sure. Yeah, the but. Bucks really turned that game into a blowout in the second half and then turned it into let's just laugh and have fun on the bench. They all were like sitting in the same <laughs> style. The Grayson Allen dunk, I think, really Boy, kind that. of broke that open on, on Jordan Wara. Um you know, something watching the Pacers last night, and again, when you are missing the amount of guys that they are missing, you can fall into the trap of, you know, are these guys legit, legit? Or are they just happen to be getting 35 minutes a night and somebody has to score right. for a team? But That's, I, that's the challenge, right, to, fi- to figure out. I, mean. I, I do think we'll exit this season, Jake, and I do think, honestly, it's the three guys that their last names all start with the same letter. I think you've got three dudes that I look at and say, those can be bench pieces for a pretty legit team. And that would be Andrew Nemhard, that would be Aaron Neesmith, and that would be Jordan Wara. I think those three guys can be a part of your rotation, and you can call yourself... Obviously, you need other pieces. You need another major piece. But those three specifically, I think, can be part of the second unit moving forward. Okay, what about... Let me give you a couple other names. Uh... I'm going to give you a name. You tell me starter or st- – okay, starter, steady bench rotation, or not in your game plan. Chris Duarte. Yeah, I, I can't go steady bench rotation just yet. Okay. Uh, Isaiah Jackson. Probably in the same boat. Interesting. Okay. Now, you need some big with that second Jaylen unit. Smith. It's, same thing. I would say if we're going to nitpick Jake, the most disappointing part of the season is the Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith development. And that one of those Fair. two didn't take kind of a Neesmith type jump or even a Wara type jump, you know, those guys. But again, the major pieces are obviously Halliburton, Matherin, and Turner. You know, Heald, I, I obviously can still be an important guy for you in that starting lineup. And last night to me is a great example of why you need one more major piece. Jake, was it ever mentioned in the arena that Chris Middleton didn't play last night? Right. And yet, they've got a guy that can go get you 50. And I know that Drew Holiday is not that night in, night out, but he's a darn good player night in, night out for you. And Milwaukee's the class of the Eastern Conference. Correct. They're really good, but part of being really good is facilitated by a guy that on an average night gives you 38, 17, and 12. Sure. And did that again. Like, had that in the third quarter. (laughs) I mean, pretty impressive, right? I was thinking back, you know, watching Holiday last night. Jake, how many, not to get too, like, real housewives of... Oh, I see enough of that. Milwaukee on us, but how many couples in the world are gold medalists in different sports and married to each other? Now, that's a good question. You know, I would I would assume you've got maybe... Not even coming each, Mary Bart Connor. 
Yeah, I'd assume you have like maybe a, a track couple married, or you know maybe there's been gymnasts that have well, been that, married to each other. Um, but in Lauren Cheney and Drew Holiday's case, gold medalists in two separate sports can't be many, right? So I'm looking it up. I, I, I'm fairly certain that Nadia Comaneci was married to yeah, Bart Connor. Now did he win gold? My my immediate level, my immediate recall of Olympic gymnast history has to be impressive to someone. And, and he won a gold in '84. Now again, those are same sport. You know, get oh, different, different sport. Sports. Like, Ooh, it, boy. and I know I'm kind of getting technical with it, but because Drew Holiday was so important for Team USA just a few years ago in the Olympics, when they, I mean, they were struggling, and they it was not a breeze for them. Here's a better he, question: He came off the finals appearance and was terrific. If you, if you and Maddie both had gold medals, what would you do with them? Where would you display them? Yeah, I, you would think in some sort of like basement situation, but I remember talking to. I mean, doesn't that seem like it merits more than like just hanging yeah. down in your fan cave? But like, what do you, should it be the centerpiece of the kitchen table? Should it be above the bed? Well, that's rather presumptuous. Isn't well, I'm it? just. You know, we Mark, had a lot. Where of, would you put? We had a lot of gold medal for that one, but we yeah. had a lot of villages talk yesterday. I just want to make sure that we stay in <laughs> tune I, with that. I would think, a, a, like a, a framed. I mean, the living room. On do you the want wall? it in your house, or do you want people breaking in? I mean, that's and that's the other thing, right? I mean, do you want it where everyone knows where it is, or do you put it like in a safety deposit box? One of the things that's fascinating to me is you often find that people that have those sorts of things. If everyone knows they have it, there's no. It, it's like Chad Johnson said, Ocho Cinco. When Ocho Cinco admitted that all the jewelry he wore as an NFL player was fake, and someone's like, why would you wear a fake watch? And he's like, because everyone knew I made $8 million a year. Why do I have to prove it by wearing an expensive watch? <laughs> that sounds like a very him quote. You know? You know, he lived in the complex. You read that, right? I, I did hear that. Chad Johnson, when he was a star for the Bengals, I believe for an entire season, lived in the Bengals complex like slept not in their indoor bubble because they didn't have one <laughs> that's right and they're like why and he's like because that's everything I needed I had food all the time I had <laughs> shelter shower okay shelter but so if you had a gold medal and everybody knew it you know like Michael Phelps where, where are his like 37 medals laying yeah, around I know I gotta think summer and safes right I, I would think uh, from ESPN last night, the Bucks were the first team in NBA history to have a player with a 50-point game and another player have a 35-point triple-double. So, Jake, history last night. As the right. Pacers give up their season high, 149, they lose to the Bucks. The Bulls lost as well, so that magic number just comes down by one. Again, that's the tragic number, I think we're calling it. Uh, so, three losses by the Pacers or wins by the Bulls, and they will be officially eliminated. Five games to go. In the season, the Thunder coming up on Friday. Uh, We'll get to that IU portal news here. Um, It was late in the show yesterday that Peyton Sparks transferred in from Ball State. We're going to play some Michael Lewis audio coming up. Michael Lewis was on with John, I think it was last week, maybe two weeks ago, when Peyton Sparks initially entered the portal. And, you know, Michael Lewis certainly took the high road in his comments about Sparks. 
Um, I'm talking with someone that's watched a lot of Ball State. They pretty much said, could probably be a nice rotational player in the Big Ten. I, I, I don't think anything more I mean, than that. I'll give you my thought on it coming up in a few, but but it seems like there's kind of a logical jigsaw piece there. And then Jordan Geronimo um, entered the portal last evening. So that's now three subtractions from Indiana. I don't think any of them are shocking by any means. Geronimo's a guy that maybe a little bit of fault of like when he entered the program, but when he showed flashes as a freshman, I think a lot of people were like, hey, is this going to be like a Jawan Morgan, OG Ananobi situation? Is like... Not the most highly recruited guy, but again, has some athleticism, plays that 3-4 spot, could turn into something, and really just never got there. And of course, we'll hit on the Colts later. Joel Erickson, like I said, coming up at 9 o'clock. And the pro day today for Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson and Hendon Hooker, right? Both today? I'm going to assume Hendon Hooker's not doing anything. I was going to say, how much could he do, right? Does Anthony Richardson need to do anything? Boy, stand there with his shirt off. <laughs> Seriously, if you're him, aren't you like, hey, did you guys watch the combine? Yeah, just, just replay the combine tape. There you go. Everybody sit down like a, like a substitute teacher. Just have <laughs> exactly, the TV rolled yeah. in. All right, we wheel it in. Yeah, we had this from March Madness a few weeks ago. Now we're going to do it today. Uh, so we'll hit on all of that on what looks to be a nice Thursday here in Indianapolis. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, and Mark Dykton. Kevin Aquari, 93.5107.5, The Fan. Some history last night inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse for the visiting team. Drew Holiday scored a career-high 51 points. He had 17 two-point baskets in the game. The 6'4 guard, extremely dynamic on both ends of the floor per usual, but his offense was the highlight last night. And then Giannis had a 35-point triple-double. Jake, I think that triple double occurred like midway through the third quarter, and Holiday had reached his career high at 45 or 47, something like that, also in the third quarter. It's not even like they needed overtime or they needed, you know, two minutes ago in the fourth quarter to reach those numbers. For me, ESPN, first time in league history, a guy has scored over 50 for his team, and another player has had a 35 point triple double. I was sitting there thinking to myself, he's going for 60. As soon as he hit, he he pulled up for a three after he hit fifty one, and then after that they, I think they realized, you know what, we can get some other guys. Yeah, back to back tonight with Boston yeah. might have been a play there. One forty nine, one thirty six. The Pacers allow a season high to the Bucks. They lose. They actually hung in there really well through the first three and a half quarters, but uh, the tank is on as Tyrese Halliburton, Miles Turner. Uh, and Buddy Heald, along with Chris Duarte, continue to sit out. Uh, other notes last night, by the way, from the association, the Bulls, as you had mentioned, losing to the Lakers, 121-110. So that, I like how you call it that, Kevin. The tragic number stays or just knocks one down from four to three. That's the number for the Pacers to be eliminated from the playoffs. Uh, also, last night in the NBA, Jaden Ivey had 24, not enough. Oklahoma City over Detroit, 107-106. And Sacramento, 120-80 to 80 over Portland. Two notables for this game. Uh, that clinches Sacramento's first playoff appearance since 2006. I can't wait to watch them in the playoffs. I know. I, they're, they're pretty fun to watch. Shaden Sharp, by the way, the rookie for Portland, did have 30 in the game. Uh, opening day for Major League Baseball. You want to look at the Midwest teams. The home series will be the Cubs or the Brewers, the Reds or the Pirates, and the Cardinals with the Blue Jays. The White Sox are in Houston. Detroit is in Tampa. And 
Cleveland is in Seattle. So opening day for Major League Baseball, a busy slate. All the teams are playing tomorrow, a little bit dialed back. And then Saturday and Sunday, we'll wrap up these three-game series, uh, three or four-game series around the league. I've come up with my own entertaining way for us to keep interest in the Major League Baseball team as Cubs and Reds fans all season long. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like it. That. I'll hey, tell you that next. Mark, do you take that as a shot at all that the Cubs are being grouped in with the Reds? No, that's fine. I mean, misery loves company. And the Cubs <laughs> tore it down a couple of years ago. So, uh, One note, uh, Butler staff, Thad Mata, Kevin Kuwick is leaving to be the head coach at Army. Um, Ten years of military service for him, so some connections uh, to Army. Uh, was with Thad Mata at Ohio State. I am curious what this could mean for Greg Oden, director of basketball operations. Would he get elevated? I know John Diebler, former Buckeye as well, is our director of recruiting. So a lot of shakeup for Butler this offseason. And then the IU portal stuff we'll hit on. So far, three subtractions, one addition. The one addition comes from Ball State. We'll hear from Michael Lewis about that coming up in a bit. It is a nice Thursday here in Indy. Good news for those Midwest teams on opening day, especially when you look at the weather for tomorrow. Kevin Bowen, Jake Quarry, Mark Dykton right here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Okay, I've got a way for us to keep an interest in the Major League Baseball season um, throughout like June and July because I'm assuming that the Cubs and Reds, no offense, Mark, are both going to be – Uh, toiling through mediocrity for the course of the season. But we'll get to that in a second. First, let's get to the transfer portal. I don't think any big surprise um, that Jordan Geronimo threw his name in with Indiana yesterday. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but when he took a leap into the portal, he yelled, Me! (laughs) Sorry. In my opinion, that sucked. Did you get that, Kevin? In other words, instead of saying, Geronimo! You see, okay, anyway. Um... He now joins Tamar Bates. The one, let's begin with this question. When a player, has there been a player, I think there have, that has put their name in the transfer portal and then not liked any of the offers and gone ahead and stayed where they were originally yeah, I, scheduled? I don't know if Geronimo officially entered it last year, Jake, but he flirted with leaving he did. A big time. I and I was that. a little surprised because I assumed that if Trey Jackson Davis, which, you know, you look back on it, him getting COVID at the start of that NBA draft combine might have been the reason why he didn't go to the NBA. Uh, you know, if Trace and or Race Thompson would have left, I, I figured that would have kept Geronimo in Bloomington because minutes would have been there more for him. Um, but when they both returned, I was a little surprised that he came back. You know, Geronimo, and just a few minutes ago, Jake, it just seemed like you always were like, can you tap more into that potential? Because, I mean, I think he showed some flashes. He did. And he then actually he just hit- completely fell. He's like the Jalen Smith of IU, right? Yeah, yeah. I I, I see where you're getting at. Um, I mean, Geronimo's a freshman, I thought, had some glimpses. You know, his jump shot never, I think, was you know dead-eye by any means, but he certainly shot it much better in his early years in Bloomington than he did throughout. And like I was saying, I mean, on the heels of an OG and an OB, I think you know a lot of IU fans were thinking, oh, wow, is this going to be like an uber-athletic wing that wasn't super highly recruited that, that just grows into something? And when you look at the roster construction of Indiana, as we've said all along, they are going to be one of the most turned-over rosters in all of college basketball. I mean, with Geronimo and Tabar Bates now in the portal, Assuming Jalen Hood Shafino goes pro, um, 
you will lose six of your top nine. They, they, they pretty much played nine guys, double-digit minutes. Six of them will be gone. The three returners, you assume, will be Xavier Johnson and then Trey Galloway and Malik Renew. So it's going to be massive overhaul. And Jake, I think in an ideal world, with graduations, you would pass the torch to a Tamar Bates or to a Geronimo. Right. And, and it just didn't pan out for them. Um, and again, I'm not like sitting here saying we need to all of a sudden get in some debate about do you blame Archie? Do you blame what's, you know, whatever. It didn't work out. It, it just reconfirms yesterday's news of what we thought all along. And that is this is going to be one of the most different looking rosters of any major college basketball team come this fall. But you know, it's like that everywhere. I mean, North Carolina was in the national championship game. I know they had a disappointing year this year. Yeah, but not to this level. But Carolina and Kansas both have guys. I mean, Kansas has players. You know, the the guy, if Grady Dick goes pro, which is expected, then the player that was, you know, a four-star recruit that was going to be immediately elevated, he's now in the portal. Um, Indiana might be getting some front court help. We already know of one who has arrived. Also, Harvard's Chris Ledlam averaged 19 a game. He's got one year of eligibility left. Um, 19 points, actually 18.8 technically, eight and a half rebounds per game, shot 47% from the floor. I, I, I get it, but I mean, he's six six, but he's at Harvard. I mean, I, I, no knock on Harvard. It's obviously an unbelievable institution, but I, yeah, we're not worrying about his credits transferring. I, I mean, are you looking at, okay, you know, people are like gaga over the fact that I'm like, well, he's a six six guy that averaged eighteen a game in the Ivy League. That's cool. So, like, what does he, does he become a starter? I think what you're looking at, though, if he were to end up in Indiana, but I like this. It mentions that he's met with Indiana, everything else, and that's the only in home visit he's done so far. Uh, then it said Iowa and St. John's are also scheduled for in home visits. Then Michigan State, Florida, Tennessee, Xavier, Gonzaga, Vanderbilt, Wake Forest, UCLA, LSU, Michigan, Villanova, Oklahoma, Maryland, Virginia, and Pitt also are involved. Boy, he might have to wait till the 2024 Porter <laughs> I mean, cycle too. But if Coach Patino gets his hands on him, can you imagine well, going from Harvard to St. John's. If if I got news for you, if Rick Patino is going in to talk to this kid about St. John's, then theoretically, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan State, Florida, Tennessee, Xavier, Gonzaga, Vanderbilt, Wake Forest, UCLA, LSU, Michigan, Villanova, Oklahoma, Maryland, Virginia, and Pitt are all wasting their time. Um, <laughs> you know, something to note, I think on. Miami, Jake, because that seems to be the team that everyone points to of like, hey, look what happens when you use the portal. Miami's benefited greatly from it. I think it's worth pointing out, if you look at the Miami team last year, that was a team that went to the Elite Eight, and you know Isaiah Wong, who is now the ACC Player of the Year, he was on that team last year. You know Jordan Miller was a transfer from George Mason, but this is now year two for him. It's not like they went into the portal and they got four dudes out of the portal that are all in their first year in Coral Gables. There is a little bit of a growth. Again, it's not their entire roster. If you look at their rotation, they have several guys that were key components for them last season that have, again, just kind of um, grown in their respective roles. Mentioned earlier Michael Lewis, the head coach of Ball State, of course. He was on with John last week when Patrick Patrick Sparks, remember Patrick Sparks at Kentucky, how big his t-shirt was? Yeah. And how many times the ball bounced on that rim when they beat Michigan State in the tournament. It's still bouncing on the rim. Uh, Patrick Sparks, he was a transfer, was he not? Western Kentucky, does that sound right? That sounds right. And then they had the other kid that transferred from 
that same year or right around there from Kentucky to Gonzaga, that was kind of the start of the whole. And back then, of course, I think you're sitting out, you know, Correct. for those years. Um, Peyton Sparks is what I meant. Peyton Sparks, a Winchester, Indiana native. I, I don't know too many people from Winchester. Jake, uh, what, due east from Muncie? Is that right? Got a dirt track there. Uh, that is correct. I've not been to it. but um, And then Winchester, Kentucky is where you get AL8. Oh. you're wondering. Well, I wonder if Mike Woodson made a stop there when he was <laughs> looking into Peyton Sparks. Um, very solid numbers in the MAC, all conference type guy, 13 and 8. Lefty, so you know the Trace Jackson Davis dominant hand will uh, will continue. But I thought Michael Lewis had some interesting comments. Peyton Sparks related, transfer portal related. This is with John last week. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think you know for for us, I think we got to learn how to navigate it to best um, <clears throat> build a roster here at at Ball State to um, be competitive year in and year out. And when I mean that, like, okay, we won twenty games this first year is a great first year. Like, we need to continue to build on that. So, how can we use the portal to help our program improve? And then, you know, conversely, like we, you know, Peyton Sparks went in the portal, and you know, I look at that from a standpoint of. You know, he, he's had a dream to play at the highest level of college basketball since he was a little kid. And, and uh, you know, he expressed it. He, you know, he you know he grew up, obviously, in Indiana and, and uh, you know, has watched the Big Ten. And, you know, that's always been appealing to him. And part of our job, I think, at our level, just as, as you know, it was at other places where, you know, you try to help a kid become a professional and reach their highest level. Like, um, you know, I think um, Peyton feels like we – you know, over this year, like hopefully we've done our job as coaches and gotten him better to the point that he can chase his dream and we've got to be able to, to support that. So I think um, there's a lot of good and bad in it. I think each, each situation is, is um, of its own, um, but we got to figure out how to use it best uh, for Ball State. So we're in there looking for, for players that fit our program. And then obviously we've got somebody in there that we're trying to help um, chase their dream of, of playing college basketball at the highest level. By the way, did I say Winchester's a dirt track? Yep. I thought so, yeah. Sorry. Asphalt track. God. How dare you? Unbelievable. I don't know why I said dirt track, sorry. There it's a half a, mile pace. There goes though. any chance you're asked to get on the PA system there in the coming years. Um Isn't that a kind of a tough dilemma for Michael Lewis? It is, because and and I think you know, a lot of people talk about NIL. With college basketball, I, I think the transfer portal is. I have a theory here, Kevin, and it's going to hurt the ball states of the world. And for example, in the kid from Harvard, I just read you. Let me and let me give you one other one. I mentioned the other day that Graham Ek, the the big man for Wyoming, who was a good player for Wyoming when they made the tournament, and then he was hurt last year. Um, he also is in the transfer portal. Now, yesterday he apparently released his list of the finalists of where he's going to transfer. Uh, he's down to Arkansas, Arizona, Arizona State, Butler, Colorado, Georgetown, Gonzaga, Indiana, Iowa State, Kansas, Missouri, San Diego State, Seton Hall, Tennessee, Washington State, Xavier, and West Virginia. I really do think that the transfer portal, and I know people are going to think I'm crazy and I'm fully intending people to tell me that I'm old guy yelling at clouds. It's cool. I truly believe this. I think the attention that is shown towards young people about their college decision 
and the message boards and the tweets and all show me the love and the, the, the picking the hat at the press conference. I think it is intoxicating to young people. I would have absolutely been victim to that myself. No question about it because I love me some me. But I think that not every player gets that. So what you th- have, I believe, I'm not saying this case at all. I'm not saying it's the case there. I'm not saying it's the case with the kid from Wyoming. But if you have a player that was relatively off the radar in their high school recruiting, so they end up at a mid-major and they are denied what they've seen their AAU teammates getting, which is all the love and adulation and praise and recruitment from a fan base and a coaching staff, if they didn't get that the first go-round, here's their chance. And so I'm going to throw my name out there and I'm just going to sit back and read the tweets and I'm going to see all the guys in their candy-striped pants that are lining up outside places to hold up signs to tell me how great I am and recruit me to come to Indiana or Washington State or Kansas or Georgetown or Gonzaga or San Diego State, whatever it might be. I think you now see players that were denied that as high school players but don't want to be denied it for a lifetime so they enter the transfer portal yeah i I do think that can be part of it and i think michael lewis kind of hinted at that and i I don't think and i'm not saying that you're saying this jake i don't think that applies to peyton sparks i think this is a kid that grew up in you know rural yeah indiana and went to ball state and became an all-conference type player and now is you know playing at a higher level of college basketball um you know, I'm sure Ball State will receive some benefits, Jake, from like the ninth or tenth team in the insert a conference that's much worse than the MAC, the America East. That just popped in my head. That that guy transferring up to Ball State now to you know play at a little bit of a bigger place again, kind of an ascending role, um, that sort of thing. So I do think there are kind of multiple levels to the portal. Um, again, I don't necessarily look. I, I assume Malik Renew will be your starting big. And Peyton Sparks will be kind of a rotational guy for you. He's a big body, not uber athletic. Um, obviously, pretty good rebounding numbers at Ball State. Got to the foul line a whole lot. Uh, but I think he's kind of a traditional big dude at 6'9 and 240 pounds. So, so far for Indiana, Logan Duncombe, Tamar Bates, Jordan Geronimo gone. Peyton Sparks in the program. Are you surprised that Purdue hasn't had with the – the logjam that Purdue had at some positions and the and the depth of talent Purdue has that we haven't seen any of those players yet. Yeah, I just think from a sheer number standpoint, Jake, it's always smart just to just be like, oh yeah, someone will enter the portal. Right. Um, so yeah, I just assumed that you would get somebody. Uh, what is it? Is it mid-May? Is that the deadline? Or that's kind of when the when the cutoff is. So you still have a lot of time. You know, obviously, some NBA declarations. You know, Could that impact things? Uh, but yeah, I guess a little bit surprised just purely from a number standpoint but hey uh, just look into Bloomington look over at Hinkle and look to South Bend if you want to see a lot of players in the portal from a in-state standpoint by the way Micah Shrewsbury press conference at 11 if you guys aren't doing anything you want shirt on or off for that I try to get a zoom we link have a, we have a meeting at 11 I try to back out of that as well try to get a zoom link from South Bend but no! are you teaching today no, no answer on that uh, Bob Costas in the building today I thought he was there yesterday Still uh, I, I, maybe it's a two-day stay for Bob. Did you get the memo about that? Well, my class is just Tuesdays and Thursdays. They sent out like a big thing yesterday. He was walking around IU. Yeah, I think a two-day stay for Might have missed uh, out. pink eye outbreak afterwards. Uh, nothing on that end. Okay. But Carter, my, my a day my for each hour of his best pink stuff. Um, here, here's my thought on Major League Baseball. You ready? The Major League Baseball opening day is today. 
Mark, you are a diehard Cubs fan, correct? Yep, okay. I am wearing I the myself, shirt. Uh, I love the Cincinnati Reds, mostly nostalgically speaking. When I was a kid at Kings Island, right near the log flume, they used to have a uh, like a Reds gift shop right there, a little stand, a little kiosk. I always wanted a Joe Morgan jersey. Finally ended up getting one as an adult. Um, but I love the Big Red Machine. I, I started watching baseball towards the – the transition of the Big Red Machine into the Ed, uh, Eddie Milner, Gary Redis era, Paul Householder, Ron Oster. And then they got, obviously, Eric Davis. They went at 90 my senior year in high school, and that was kind of the end of it. Kevin, you're also a Reds fan. Mm-hmm. We know that neither of those two teams that I just mentioned are probably going to be contending for a World Series. Well, speak for yourself. I mean, I'm just saying realistically. So, to keep us interested and maybe for listeners as well. I looked at VegasInsider.com at the over-under win total estimated for every team in Major League Baseball. These are the teams that are estimated to have fewer than 80 wins. Okay? So these are the teams that are estimated to go sub-500, basically. I figure what we do is each one of us will pick one team that that's that that we think is going to have the highest win total of the three that are selected, and then whoever gets the most, the other two have to buy them uh, what a, a six pack of PBR at the end of the baseball. Here we season. go. All right. So These not are, the tax man coffee beer that Mark got me. I guess we could do. I mean, we could do whatever beverage of your choice. Mark, a rich coffee taste out of that. Um, Good or bad? Uh, depends on probably what time of the day. Well, that's true. <laughs> when you're doing it with longs, it's Which, fine. You know, I yeah, think when right. we had pop you probably quiz, dip that donut in there. Pop quiz caller Mark, I think, would be a fan of that You know, early in the morning. Okay, these are the teams estimated to, to, that are prognosticated to be sub-500. So these are those from which we will choose. Uh, Miami, the Washington Nationals, the Cubs I'm taking off the board, and the Reds because we're obviously going to be rooting for those anyway. Uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Arizona Diamondbacks, Colorado Rockies, Boston Red Sox, Baltimore Orioles, the Detroit Tigers, the Kansas City Royals, and the Oakland Athletics. Why do I feel like it's the same teams every year? <laughs> Besides Boston, really? Yeah, Boston's kind of the anomaly. I mean, well, literally. And, you know, Washington also, the Nationals. Yeah, I guess I mean, they're they within have. a handful of years of winning a World Series. Uh, Mark, you want to... Take a stab. Since I came up with this idea, I'm taking one team off the board that you guys cannot select. Jake's going to go first. But Mark, I'll let you go first. No, no, go ahead, (laughs) because I'm I'm thinking about it. I have always enjoyed, and I got on board with a few years ago and got on the bandwagon, and we went to IndyCar. We had a race in this city. I love their mascot on their hat. I'm bringing it back. I'm going old school like it was back in 2015 or whatever it was when I first started doing it. The Oriole Bird, which is the lamest name for a mascot. But on the hat, I have always just simply, and those that have listened to me for a while know this, I've simply called him Cute Fella. Because he's got the big grin, and he's just saying, hey, root for me. And he's a cute fella. He's a cute fella. He's always happy. He's grinning on the hat. And I actually had the Baltimore Orioles gift shop make me cute fella t-shirts when I was in Baltimore for the IndyCar race, which went around Camden Yards, and I had a great time there. So I am taking, as my team... Obviously, I'm a Reds fan, but as my adopted team for the year that I'm putting my stakes for a free six-pack of beer from you boys, I'm taking the Baltimore Orioles. Now, do they hate their ownership as much as the Commanders fans do in that area? Um, I think that they probably wish that they would spend more. Do you have a Miguel Tejada jersey that you might rock here? (laughs) 
Yeah. I, Buck Showalter still around? <laughs> uh-huh. Um, actually. I'm, I'm picturing Rafael Eddie, Eddie Palmero. Eddie Murray would be my in, favorite. Palmero in court. What, what, he wagged the finger and, you know, what did he say? I did not take steroids. Didn't he have some very, that's like. That's exactly how he said it, right? Direct comment about that. Uh, Mark, are you still so? How many? How many teams do we have the options of? Eighty and under. Isn't Mark, that pay attention. I'm going to read them to you again Jackson. here. You ready? These are your options yeah. from which you can choose: the Miami Marlins, the Washington Nationals, the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Arizona. These teams all have terrible hats, by the way. That's why they're all sub 500. The Arizona Diamondbacks, the Colorado Rockies, the Boston Red Sox, the Detroit Tigers, the Kansas City Royals, and the Oakland Athletics. Okay, give me the. Please don't take mine. Arizona Diamondbacks. Okay. Mark just wants to swim in the pool in the outfield. Hell yeah. That's <laughs> that's still around. Um I, Do you think there's a better percentage that people have swam in the outdoor pool in cutoff jeans? In Jacksonville or Arizona? Oh, Arizona. I mean, think about it. It's 81 home games versus eight. That's true. Just sheer numbers. But Jacksonville's the home of Leonard Skinner, for crying out loud. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, come on. I will take the – and, boy, I think they might have the worst over-under, the lowest of any team in Major League Baseball. I'm going with the Athletics. The Oakland Athletics. That's, that was my next choice. Okay, 50, Give me the small payroll. Okay. Give me the small ball. <laughs> Give me nobody – that's in fair. attendance, uh, one of my buddies they're played. The, they're the stadium that had the um, sewer malfunction in the wow. guest clubhouse. Yeah, that's probably the least of their worries. I would Oakland, say. 59 and a half. They're over under for the year. Stadium malfunctions a are a common occurrence. But yeah, one of my friends, Jack Lupo, played baseball at Vanderbilt. One of his good buddies is on the athletics. And that's Tony cool. Kemp, he's a good dude. So uh, let's go A's. Okay. So, so the point is, these teams, whoever's the highest win total at of the end the of the season? Okay. Now, Arizona... Mark, what's your what's your win total? What's uh, your over under? I have under? to look that one up. Seventy four and a half for Arizona. Oh, so they're going to be decent. Baltimore's over under seventy six and a half. Oh, jeez, do I get a no. handicap here? No. Yes. Here is your handicap. No. Here is the handicap for Kevin. In the event of a tiebreak, in the event I just of a tie, a double A team. In the event of a tie, Kevin, you you get the tiebreaker because you took the biggest risk. And here's the a other tie one. after one hundred and sixty two games. Here, here's in case the they other. tie. Here's the other. Okay, Mark and I. Only get a six pack. You would get a twelve pack from each wow. of us. So you would get a full case. Mark and I get a half case. Well, a twelve pack. A week ago today, a lot of people said that I had that <laughs> on the camera. <laughs> okay. Did you not see those comments? No, I saw them. I was unfortunately tagged on a lot of them, which brought the photo back. <laughs> Where are the needs for the Colts? We'll chat about that coming up in the eight o'clock hour. Eight o'clock hour on what is a really nice Thursday here. In Indianapolis, it is opening day for Major League Baseball, and I guess there is the potential that today is also a big day for possibly the next Colts quarterback. Jake, of is the pro day for the next Colts quarterback happening today? I don't believe so. I, I still am going to stand by. With I still think it's going to be Will Levis. I don't know why, but there's pictures of Will Levis the other day. The uh, before and afters. Yeah, yeah. Well, look at you. He looks like <laughs> I wish. He before, looks like the, he's going to like World's Strongest Man. Yeah. So you, uh, Not, by the way, Hendon Hooker. So what you're saying is he wasn't handing out donuts shirtless I, because of Michael Shrewsbury. I don't think he was in line at Longs, although he should be. By the way, JMV uh, just texted me. He wants Kansas City. Oh, he's going to the Royals. He wants in on us too. 
Okay. He's the in? Royals, by I'll the way, are in there. 68 and a half. All right, we'll give John. Yeah, he can get. I'm in glad there. you guys gave me that tiebreaker handicap. That'll really come in handy come <laughs> September 25th this fall. Uh, the pro days today for it's Hendon more beer Hooker. For you to drink after watching Will Levis get the Colts off to an 0 and 5 start, Kevin. <laughs> right. Uh, Anthony Richardson in Gainesville, Hendon Hooker in Knoxville. Those are the two pro days today. Hendon Hooker to me is interesting, Kevin, because and I know I've said this a lot, but. This is one area where I think you and I kind of compromise and meet halfway. I was not under the belief that the Colts needed to move from four to one because I thought it wasn't worth giving up what you would have to surrender to move up in what I thought was not as big a margin from four to one at the quarterback. And you were saying, no, if you have a guy that you want, you get him. There is a lot of talk of do they trade their four and move back, say, 15 to 20 slots and draft somewhere in the mid to late first and still take Hendon Hooker? And my answer to that that jives with what you're saying is I wouldn't do that because in that scenario, then you are running a risk. Because if you do that and then all of a sudden – you are stunned because a San Francisco or a Green Bay or somebody that you didn't think was in play grabs him at 18 or 21 or whatever else. Now you're completely set back. So you go trade back, not trade up in the second round? No, what I'm saying is the thought process of, hey, either get more pieces out of your four or draft outside of the quarterback position at four and then later like in the second or you know get hooker i don't think you can run that risk that, that somebody else might not grab him again head and hooker not going to work out today coming off the torn acl we'll see how much anthony richardson does in gainesville i do and we'll talk with joel erickson coming up here at nine o'clock who's out of the owners meetings but you know chris ballard mentioned earlier in the week that basically the Colts had not gotten there in the process to feel like it was necessary to trade up the one. Um, You could make the argument that Carolina, when they did it, they weren't there in the process either, but they felt like eventually they would get there. They didn't want to run the risk of not getting there, or I should say maybe have another team trade up to one and then not be able to do that. But we see how Carolina has gone to all these pro days with you know a dozen people in their franchise attending last week, C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young and Will Levis, and then I assume today will be the same thing with Anthony Richardson. I do find it a bit interesting, Jake, that last week with C.J. Stroud and Will Levis, the Colts sent one person from their organization to the pro day. And then you hear on Monday Chris Ballard in Arizona say, Well, again, we just don't we just didn't feel like we had done enough homework on the prospects. Sending one person to the pro day doesn't seem like you're trying to do a whole lot of homework on the prospects. Like again, pro days for me are less about what the player does on the field and more about you send three or four of your staff members to that campus. And and you know what? Even if you don't want C.J. Stroud, Ohio State's got 10 other dudes that are going to get drafted. So you go talk to their strength coaches. You go talk to their position coaches. Right. You go talk to all those people associated with their college football program, nutrition staff, manager, whoever, and you get more intel 
on those guys. It's a bit odd to me that Ballard would say, like, we just weren't there in the process. We still had more homework to do. And then at the pro days, you're sending one area scout for a program in Ohio State's case that might have the most players drafted of any in college football. Kevin, I'll, I'll tell you an interesting anecdote that, that goes along with that. I was just telling someone this the other day. When I was in college, my junior year of college, I wanted an internship, but I wanted to live in New York City. I'd always been fascinated by New York City. And in the spring break of my junior year of college, my buddy Jason Gross had a cousin that lived in New York, and he said, do you want to go to New York for spring break? And I said, yes, because I want to try to get an internship for the summer. How naive of me that in March I'm applying for an internship that would begin in May, right? I mean, like they obviously had all those full. But this was pre-internet, pre-cell phones, et cetera. I took a stack of resumes, a stack of them. And when we were in New York City, I went to every television and radio station in the greater New York metropolitan area and walked in and said, I go to Indiana University and I was hoping to do an internship for the summer here in New York, here's my resume, etc. Every single place that I went to said, well, yeah, I mean, that's those are filled like by December, a semester ahead. I went to MTV Networks, the Viacom building in Times Square, and I walked in with my resume and my little booklet and whatever else and told the receptionist that's what I was doing there. And she said, oh, well, I... I think that deadline's passed, whatever. And I said, okay. And she said, actually, hang on just a second. A woman came out, took me into her office and said, you know what? We, we filled these at the end of the first semester, like in January. But the receptionist said that you were very polite when she told you that. And so therefore, if you're actually willing to live here, we'll give you an internship. So I ended up moving to New York and interning at MTV. The point of my story having nothing to do with me is that business – made that decision because they assessed an interaction of somebody with which you would never assume would be evaluated, the interactions with the receptionist at the front desk. If you are, there's no comparison, admittedly, between a college kid looking for an internship and a guy you're paying millions of dollars. I get that. But to your point, I do think that it's in the best interest of a business to say, I'm not interested as much about, sure I am, about how this guy interacts with his teammates, but how does he interact with the guy in the mailroom, the, the, the training staff, the nutrition staff? Does he listen to, does he consider himself to be above all of those people, which turns into Ryan Leaf? Or like when Peyton Manning retired from the Colts and could name every single person that worked in the building and every single thing that they did for his career, that's the kind of, of like of approach that I want to invest my money in if I'm the Indianapolis Colts. And that's why I would go to your point and find those kinds of backgrounds. And again, there are other ways to do that. You know, a pro day, Hendon Hooker and Anthony Richardson are waking up today and the first thing their agent is saying to them is, you are on your best behavior for the next 12 hours. You are interacting with everybody like they are your best friend. So obviously you would like for when the cameras are not on to find out that info. So I I acknowledge a pro day can be a bit staged even in that realm. Do you make anything out of the Colts only sending one area scout to, again, the best, if not the best, one of the best college football programs for producing NFL talent in Ohio State and then just one 
to Will Levis in Kentucky? Is that a team that has already done their homework and they're just publicly saying things? I would like to think it's that. I would like to think that that's because the Colts are like, look, we don't... The Colts may well, Kevin, the Colts may be well saying, look, of course, at the pro day... It's in the best interest of Ohio State University. It's in the best interest of the University of Tennessee. It's in the best interest of the University of Kentucky to have everybody putting their best foot and their best face forward on Pro Day. So it's entirely possible that the Colts are saying, that stuff that I heard Kevin Bowen and Jake Quarry talking about is very important to us, but we're not going to be fooled into only seeing it on Pro Day. So we've got our scouts going and talking and having those conversations at totally different times that you don't know about. I'm hoping that's the case. But I assume it is, right? Yeah, after these pro days, um, top 30 visits will be something that the month of April is really focused on. And, you know, four weeks from today um, will be round one of the NFL draft and we'll get an answer to this. You know, I think I've made it pretty clear kind of where I sit on the Lamar Jackson side of – that debate and I I think you just have to stress the injury aspect to Lamar Jackson I was thinking about this yesterday if you look at the Ravens the last two years a team that's been in the thick of a playoff division race you know potentially one of the teams that could represent the AFC entering the month of December each of the last two years the Ravens have played 12 games in December and January the last two years 12 games one of those being a playoff game Lamar Jackson's missed 10 straight of them. 12 games in the two biggest months of the year, Lamar Jackson has missed 10 straight games. He started and finished the first of those 12 games, got hurt in the second, and has missed 10 straight. That, to me, is the most concerning aspect to giving him the type of money that it looks like he wants, slash giving up two first-round picks. If a guy's playing style has led to him at the age of 26 missing a month plus at the most important time of the season, uh, that's too much for me. Too much for me. I, I think... Great talent. Unbelievable talent. Rare. Unique. Would give offer this fan base an injection of energy and excitement and all of that, but when December and January rolls around, need him out there. I think Lamar Jackson is a great story for us to talk about. I don't think the Colts have any interest in him. I mean, I guess you have interest. If Lamar Jackson said, like, you know, my dream in life has been to play for the Indianapolis Colts, and so therefore I'm willing to do it for $5 million a year, okay, sure. But, I mean, realistically, under the terms and everything that goes into it, that Lamar Jackson and the fact that you have to trade to get him, it makes for a good conversation here. Haven't the Colts all but basically said, like, look, guys, it's a great storyline, but no. Ursa, yes. Ballard, no. Uh, well... Again, how much of that is Ballard being the politician during the time of year that you have to be when you have the fourth overall pick, and how much of that is just Ursay being Ursay? How do you see the Lamar Jackson thing playing out? You think he ends up taking the Mark, taking I the have no idea. With Ravens? I think they trade him to an NFC team, and I think they trade him to an NFC team. Who is that team? Though? Atlanta. Haven't they publicly said no? Um, Tampa Bay. Uh, who's Tampa Bay's quarterback? Baker. Yeah, Baker Mayfield and uh, Jacoby Brissett. Do one of these teams look at Uh, training up for Anthony Richardson? The Commanders one made a lot of sense to me, but it seems like they're out too. Yeah, I was going to say, didn't Ron Rivera say no? Yeah. 
You guys are going to laugh. You ready? San Francisco. I know they've got good players at quarterback position, but they are right at the ceiling. Isn't Lamar Jackson, if he's healthy, the guy that burst them right through that? Yeah, I just don't know if these teams have correct the, the cap the, or correct. the first round. I mean, San Francisco. That's no way they have their first round pick, right? Didn't that go to some trade? I feel like San Francisco just traded away all their picks. Christian McCaffrey, of course, is part of it, but contractually, I'm yeah. The 49ers' uh, 29th overall pick went to the Saints. And their second rounder, right, is Carolinas, right? Is now what Carolina I traded to correct. the Bears? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So again, a lot of it obviously is, and that's what I thought Ursay really stressed earlier this week was, you know, look at the asking price. The asking price is at a really, really high level. If you want to get off quarterback for a second here for the Colts, I would say O line, corner, and wide out. I mean, corner for sure. And that, and part of that, the thing to me about the corner, no positions lost more than corner that, and this offseason. That's off the season. thing is, corner is an urgency. Not urgency is maybe the wrong word. Uh, corner is a need based on their own doing. Right? It's not like guys like naturally just got old and retired or somebody got hurt or whatever else. I mean they've they've kind of they've said we need to upgrade this area and let guys go, right? You know, they've had this run where they've they've had a veteran corner in the building, whether it's Pierre Desir or Xavier Rhodes or Stefan Gilmore. You know, pretty much throughout the Ballard era they find they have found a nice veteran corner, but right now they don't have that. Um so I think that is it, it'll be an interesting debate. Like let's just th- play out the hypothetical. They take quarterback in round one. Then they get to round two. What do they take there? The need screams corner more than anything else. But does the fact that you have a rookie quarterback mean you side with the offensive side of the ball more? And you go O-line or you go pass catcher? I mean, O-line. You know my thought, Kevin. O-line and corner, man. You could, I, I, don't, I don't care if you already have on your roster – in their prime, Mike Webster, Orlando Pace, I, I, you know, I mean, go on, Jonathan Ogden, John Hanna, I, Anthony Munoz, a lot of those are overlapping positions, I realize. I, You can never have too many. You just can't, an offensive line. And the same with corners. You just can't. Corners in particular, because the funny thing to me about corners and the thing that I think it's the hardest position to evaluate is corner is the one position in the National Football League, Kevin, more than any other where when a guy when the fall off begins, it is like overnight and it is glaring. And you kind of never know when it's going to happen. That's why I thought the Stephon Gilmore trade turned out to be a, a great or excuse me, sign when they signed him. I thought it was a great sign by Chris Ballard because he had a really good, you know, they, they kind of took a flyer on it. You didn't know if he'd fallen off. And he hadn't. He was really good. It was for a great them. signing. Yeah. I know, and that's why it's this curious to me. Mr. Gilmore. <laughs> okay, that's the <laughs> look at Kevin. <laughs> Interesting there, Mark Dykton. <laughs> what was that you played, Mark? Because he's uh, gone now. Yeah, I know. He was, just, he was retired. But if we're going to mention him out of blue sky, you might as well play it one. Like time. a reverence. Yeah. A little bit there. No, wait a minute. Hold on. We we need to we need to. Here's the thing. We need to have a ceremony. Okay. Well, I played taps when he got traded. But we need to have an official ceremony. I saw Jim is at a dinner for a whale last night. That we we hereby Lolita. We hereby whale. declare. That he he tweeted about that, right? And and now he's got pictures of the whale. Beautiful looking whale. Is it Brendan Fraser? 
Uh, we we hereby declare on this the what is today's date? That's the thirtieth. On this, the thirtieth day of March. Got to do the knuckles, Jake. Remember, we got one more day left in the month. That's right. Uh, Indiana won a national championship on this day in either 81 or 87. I can't recall. Well, actually, uh, 40, 53, 76, 81, and 87 were all on either March 30th or 31st, I believe. But um, on this, the 30th of March of 2023, we, the Kevin and Corey program on 93.5107.5 The Fan, regret to inform you that this will be the final time that we play one of the greatest sound bites in the history of Sports Talk Radio in this market, at least from a morning standpoint which was Jim Irsay selecting a dessert in honor of Stephon Gilmore, who had good moments, saved the Denver Broncos Thursday night dreadful game for the 12% of the people that stayed up late to watch it, and perhaps kept Al Michaels from quitting on the spot with that game. Stephon Gilmore's been traded to the Dallas Cowboys, and as a result of that, we, for the final time on this program, at least this week, play for you the fabulous soundbite of Jim Irsay tipping his hat to the fine acquisition of the former NFL Defensive Player of the Year, Stephon Gilmore. This one from Mr. Gilmore. (laughs) Touching. (laughs) Mark stood up with a salute. We will always have Alex Pierce, though. Alex, right? With an X on the oh, end of that uh, one there. Yeah. No comment. Mm-hmm. Poor, poor Alex Pierce. Yeah. <laughs> Destined for a big second year here. Okay. And obviously, just had a joyous run in watching his brother play for Princeton as they made the Sweet 16. A Bo Borowski coming up in about 10 minutes. Is it dusty in here? Got a little. Yeah. I would like for the record to state, by the way, that it was Mark that pushed that button, and it was Kevin that actually somewhat called for the Alec Pierce soundbite. Oh, I had nothing to do with that. And like teamwork, like throwing your calling and then executing under the bus and then rolling us over. Two different things, but I support Mark <laughs> in that endeavor. Uh, time for a morning checkdown. The morning checkdown. On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Uh, We'll begin, actually, last night in the NBA with the New York Knickerbockers, winning 101-92 over the Miami Heat in the association. Also last night in the league, the Chicago Bulls, 121-110, the Lakers over Chicago. That means now that the tragic number, as Kevin mentions it, for the Pacers to get eliminated from the postseason and put themselves into the lottery is at 3 it was at four going into the night and only dropped by one because the Pacers lost 149-136 to the Milwaukee Bucks. It was the Drew Holiday Show. He had 51 last night. Giannis with 38-17-12. Pacers on a four-game skid. Benedict Matherin did have 29 and Aaron Neesmith 22 for the blue and gold. Yeah, you know you've had a good night when the opposing head coach begins his opening statement talking about you and how underappreciated you are around the NBA. That was Rick Carlisle last night on what was a historic evening for Drew Holiday. I'd like somebody to name five other basketball players that are better than Drew Holiday. Just a nod of respect to him. I He's a guy that too often is just overlooked as like a truly, truly great player. We made these guys work for about three quarters of the game, made it tough on them, and then they just kind of broke it open. And um, sometimes that happens. And, you know, for the most part, I thought, I thought we just kept competing and kept trying to do what we could. You know, those guys, he and Giannis combined for, what is that, 30? Pure athlete, Jake, Drew Holiday. Quick, jump, strong, 
both hands. Again, his son, thanks to him and Lauren Chaney, will save the U.S. men's national team. I, has Rick Carlisle had a, the sniffles all year? Do you have allergies? My allergies haven't started yet. I've tried to get a head start on them, but that's probably... What do you, what do you take for the that? The pollen count is probably going to be... Do you, do you take rampant. a... Uh, I take Allegra each morning. Okay. I've got a... Uh, a prescription, but I don't really know if it works. <laughs> Wait a minute. You have a prescription for Allegra? Can't you just go into the No, I have a Kroger prescription for, for another medicine, okay. uh, allergy-wise, but I don't really think it's too effective. Tomorrow, women's final four. <laughs> uh, South Carolina. Well, I didn't say the medication. <laughs> uh, South Carolina, 11-point favorite over Caitlin Clark and Iowa, and LSU is a three-seed uh, favored by a couple points over Virginia Tech. So that's a women's Final Four. And, of course, the men on Saturday, San Diego State and Florida Atlantic. We'll get things started at 6.09. After that will be UConn and Miami. Jake, I don't think something that's being talked about enough is if Danny Hurley can get this done on Monday night. Uh, over the last 30 years in college basketball, is UConn the gold standard? When you think about the variety of coaches. That, to me, is the key part of it. Yeah, three of them win it. It was not Coach K. It was not Bayheim. It was not you know one coach over all of this span. And when you look at it, it's not like Calhoun left Kevin Ollie a national title team or Kevin Ollie left Danny Hurley a national title team. Each of these coaches, for the most part, had to pretty organically build. And again, I don't think Stores Connecticut is too high on the list of hotbed for recruiting slash I want to be on that campus. Well, and the other thing, too, is you're talking about guys that are replaced. You know, when, when we talk about how difficult it is to replace a legend, right? I know that it's not popular for people here to, to know, but Bob Knight coached in, at Indiana after, not directly after, but after Branch McCracken had, had become a legend there and a Hall of Fame coach. And you know, Dean Smith coached at North Carolina after Frank McGuire had become a legend there and a Hall of Fame coach. And Roy Williams coached at Kansas after Larry Brown had been there, after Fog Allen had been there, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And for Connecticut, Jim Calhoun built that program there. And for not one but two guys now to be able to go in there and coach and continue what he built, in Kevin Ollie's case, maybe he just directly went off of it, but... Still, there is no bigger legend in terms of the totality of the program with which they left their footprint than Jim Calhoun at Connecticut. And that's impressive. Th- potentially three coaches in a quarter century to win a national championship and multiple ones. Impressive. Uh, MLB opening day today. All 30 teams in action. I don't say this to attack intelligence of anyone. I say it more to say the relevance of baseball. Jake, the percentage of our listening audience that you think could name five opening day starters in the NFL? 5%. NFL. NFL. Oh. So if we get to NFL oh. week one, what would you say 90-something percent? 95, yeah. And 5% for the MLB to name five opening day starters? Pitchers? Yeah. <laughs> well, I assume Otani's starting, right? I think 5% might be high. There's no chance I can name five. Yeah, Otani and Kershaw. There's two, right? There's eight Cy Young winners starting today. It, again, it just goes to show Cy Young you... Cy Young be one of them for all mm-hmm. I know. Where baseball relevance is. I mean, obviously right. I would say Hunter Green because I'm a Reds fan. I'd assume Max Scherzer. Luis Castillo oh, okay. gets the ball. But outside of that, I, I don't know if I can name anybody. Is Verlander starting somewhere? 
I'm assuming I mean, Kers- so. Kershaw's not even the opening day starter for the Dodgers. Really? No, he's like their third starter now. It's just crazy how baseball has kind of resorted to this. By the way, who has the highest over-under for the year heading into it? Boy, I would guess Dodgers. What's your guess, Mark? Yeah, I would say either Dodgers or Yankees. Neither. Really? Who is it? The Houston Stros? Astros, 97.5. Oh, yeah. The Braves have got to be up there, too. You know, we actually officially should pick. Let's see here if there's anybody that has uh, an over-under estimate of... No- oh, San Diego. The Padres. They're the official... The Padres are the official station team. Over-under, 93.5. Look at that. No one's at 107.5? <laughs> no. Nobody has 107.5. Yeah, Stroh's 97.5. Then you've got the Braves and the Dodgers both at 96. The Mets are up there. And the Yankees, 94.5 for both the New York teams. Interesting little debate there. All right, Bo Borowski joins us next. In terms of college basketball, can you tell me what Baylor, California, Iowa, Marquette, North Carolina State – the University of San Francisco, Texas, and our next guest all have in common. Boy, I was first going to say that's like the portal list for, you know, <laughs> Evansville's leading scorer this year. That's but right. then you threw in uh, my favorite co-worker from back in the day at Plum Creek, not named John Peelmeyer. Uh, that would be Bo Broski. Uh, boy, I got nothing there. Three Final Four appearances for all of them. Look at that. And some recent ones for ours okay. uh, compared to... Some of those teams you mentioned, right? That is correct. As a matter of fact, a year ago, he was manning the sidelines, if you want to call it that. He might have a different vantage point uh, of how he refers to it. But he was officiating one of the iconic games in Final Four history. Bo Borowski, who joins us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. On this, the the cusp of Final Four weekend again. And Bo, I know now you are, you, you know, you hung up the whistle. Do you get a little bit already nostalgic is it too recent for you to look back and is it almost surreal to think you know what it's pretty cool to watch all this now from the outside and realize i was a part of it well maybe all the above uh jake and uh, before we move on if, if it's okay how is john peelmeyer above me on the well, list at plum creek kevin yeah, I, I thought his level of accountability I, I always always respected it at times borderlined on maybe what you see from Kim Mulkey or Robert Montgomery on the sidelines, but I thought uh, his level of accountability always stood the test of time. What? I'm going to have a hard time refuting that. All right, I'll be second on that list. But, uh, you know, Jake, it, it is all the above from my perspective. I mean, it was a year ago. It feels like it was 10 years ago. Um, I'm headed to Houston later this afternoon for some meetings and, uh, I do think some anxiety is going to set in. It, it uh, uh, for as cool as calm and collective as I've been over the last few months. I'm not sure that's going to be true this weekend. Bo, debating individual calls, I'm sure gets a bit old for you, but I have a feeling your phone was probably blowing up on Sunday afternoon when Ryan Nemhard was called for that foul in the Creighton-San Diego State game and the two free throws, the eventual game winner there. Your thoughts on the call? I guess we'll begin there first. Yeah, I was watching it live, and yeah, my phone blew up. Um, people like to compare it to other plays in the game that happened. They talked about different levels of physicality, but airborne shooters are different. Airborne shooters must be protected. Um, you know, the scoring has been down for many years in in um, men's college basketball. The rules committee said we want freedom of movement. We want to protect shooters. 
and that official did so. Um, now you have to have the conversation, illegal versus incidental. Defender got beat. Defender put his arm on the hip. Looked like there was some pressure. Uh, I support the official 100%. Should the fact that that game was uh, pretty lightly whistled, if you look at how those two teams have played all season, not a lot of fouls called, not a lot of free throw attempts, should that matter at that moment of the game? Like How the game begins to be called the first five minutes, if that carries on for the next 30, um, do you go off of the rule book, 24-7, 365, or does how the game called influence that at all? Well, I think everything's a variable, um, and it brings in the old art versus science, right? Like, feel for the game versus letter of the law. Um, but to say lightly called, it's too subjective of a statement. I just think that we can compare that to other airborne shooter plays throughout the game. And I've made this statement before. I'll make it again. Um, it's, it's not about... When you blow the whistle, when you don't blow the whistle, swallowing the whistle, it's about whether it's illegal contact or not, regardless of when it happens. So uh, it's, it's a tough conversation to have, and it really comes down to who you're rooting for and, you know, your outlook on life. If you want to bash an official, boy, you're sure going to have the opportunity, and that game presented it. <laughs> Bo, when you look at it and you, and you look back at yourself, the human nature aspect of it, do, do you try to call games the exact same every single time, or do you let the 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 flow of the game determine how? And I get what you're saying, right? About like the airborne, you know, those situations. There are some of them probably that it's irrefutable on, on the way you're going to call it, so to speak. But does the flow of the game ever dictate the? the flexibility you have in your officiating from one game to the next, or is that too dangerous as an official? I think that's dangerous. Um, you know, one of the popular conversations is, you know, the big 10 not having success, you know, especially in April over the past, what is it now? 23 years, but yeah, it's more of a half court uh, type style as opposed to some of the other leagues that are more run and gun, maybe 10 more possessions each team. And if you have an outlook, well, I'm going to call it this way tonight because I'm in the Big East or because I'm in the Pac-12, I think you're setting yourself up for failure. I do think you use the rule book uh, as the parameters. Uh, the, the coaches and fans and uh, anybody is going to cut a play up and say, is this illegal contact or not? Our response isn't going to be, well, what league was it in? So I, I think you, uh, again, have to apply the – uh, letter of the law and the uh, feel for the game, but to, to wonder if there's an approach on based on the league or based on even the time of the game, what is and what isn't, I think I think is dangerous. Bo Borowski is our guest, of course, NCAA official, worked the Final Four in 2019, 2021, 2022, and now watches on television, although you're going to be in Houston. So let's go to this, Bo. For, you know, we, we know about the teams that make the Final Four. What is the process for the officials that make the Final Four? And then what does that week and lead up to? Like, what are those officials doing today, for example? Yeah. Um, you, you are, you're an officiating apologist. Most people won't care about this, including all your listeners. But I'll answer it anyway. <laughs> There's, what, 2,800 registered officials in men's basketball 900 of them, Division One, 
uh, uh, registered officials. 109 make the tournament. 96 make the first and second round. And then as you continue through, now you're down to 11. So on Monday afternoon, when, when these guys got the call uh, that they were going, uh, leads to a ton of anxiety. They'll get there the day before the game, um, and they have to leave the day after. The NCAA is really clear about that. They want you in and out. And we as officials want, want that as well. Um, so the officials working Saturday. They'll get there tomorrow. Um, they'll, be, they'll be an officiating dinner. They'll hang around the hotel. They'll stick in their routines. For me, it was always, you know, Jesus and some Subway, a good, healthy meal. And, um, you know, arrive two hours prior, work the game, fly out the next morning. It, it's, we're ritual, uh, ritualistic people. And the Final Four doesn't change that. We don't engage or interact much, you know, with the, or, or at all, really, uh, with the teams, with, with the players. We just kind of do our own thing, throw a hat on and, and, you know, walk around town sometimes with the families. But it's, we have to pretend it's not a big deal until it's over. Could you walk us through how officials are chosen? And again, Bo Borowski's with us, uh, three Final Fours, Indy native, great, great human. Um, I, I might need to rearrange that Plum Creek order on former employees for me after this combo. Could you walk us through how officials are chosen for the tournament and then for the Final Four? Yeah, it's it's brutal, uh, subjective for sure, but it's it, it when you talk about the tournament itself, let's so I'll answer it in reverse order, Kevin. But it, there's conference coordinators at each of the sites. Um, there's regional advisors, uh, selection committee members. They're making recommendations. Uh, national coordinators breaking down every play. I mean, you're evaluated on your body language. You're evaluated on your judgment. Uh, your ability to uh, be in position. And then they have three choices to make, the people that submit it to the NCAA. Highly recommend, uh, recommend, and do not recommend. So you're putting one of those three buckets after every game. It's compiled. The NCAA takes a a ton of different things into account to determine, um, you know, who gets the nod, who works one game, two games, three games, four games. And it's a brutal process, and that's why your judgment's super important. But, you know, being an optimal communicator is too, because frankly, if somebody doesn't like you, that's evaluating you, you're, you're pretty well cooked. So it, uh, it truly, in my opinion, you know, rewards the best officials available. And, and it's a brutal process. During the course of the year, it's a nomination process that's used as a guide. So for somebody like me, I, would imagine I appeared on Big Ten lists, Big East lists, Pac-12 lists, uh, and a multitude of, uh, of other mid-majors. But it, it's the proof's in the pudding. Uh, even if somebody's pushing for somebody uh, to, to get to the tournament, it's, it's a lot easier to get there than it is to stay there. And it's, it's a very subjective process, but about as tight as it could be uh, with something so subjective. So with that, Bo, what's interesting to me about that, so you're telling me that the the crew that is going to be working the Final Four in Houston this weekend did not know, so like their friends are asking them like, hey, Saturday we've got tickets to the play, and they're saying, well, I don't know yet. So like they didn't know until Monday whether or not they had plans this weekend. That's exactly right. And and what is even more unbelievable to a lot of people, the six people 
that are flying in tomorrow for the two semifinal games, they won't know until 1 p.m. what game they're working uh, on the day of the game. And that was true for me. We'll take the bubble out of it. The bubble was just just different. Um, but you don't find out until lunch, uh, the lunch meeting, uh, which game you're working. Now, the three that, that are asked to work on Monday have a pretty good idea which game they have. But, yes, it's, it's kept under pretty tight wraps. And, and yeah, so they – those officials were going to the play until lunchtime this past Monday, and, and now some of them are going to Houston. Well, and for you, the real advantage there, Bo, let's be real, is the fact that you don't really have any social op- options or offerings anyway, right? So you were like, well, I'm good, right? You'd have to clear it. That's anything. correct. Yeah, I was always wide open. Yeah, I never uh, – yeah, I would just sit at Kilroy's and drink alone. <laughs> hey, um, let's talk about also – and I think I'm okay to say this. I mean, we've mentioned it before – because I, I'm very, very, in a small part, peripherally involved in it, but I do find it interesting. Um, the project that kind of got you to go away from being on the court, and that is the fact that you have now essentially the online, I'll call it a portal, for lack of a better phrase, for officials at the NCAA level to not only get assignments but to get reviews on games or plays. Uh, how is it going, and has it made you in any way, shape, or form miss being actually on the floor? Well, it's done quite the opposite, um, you know, and let the cat out of the bag, Jake, right? You're voiceover extraordinaire mm-hmm. um, for RefQuest. And, you know, basically what we do is we say we're in officiating services. And what is that? We call it REAP. We register, we educate, assign, and pay officials. So anytime you see an official um, on any NCAA tournament championship, you can presume that they've uh, taken tests, they've watched videos, they've uh, had a background check, they've got general and personal liability insurance, all, all the things that go along with being an official. We're somewhat of the clearinghouse to make sure that that happens. And I haven't missed it uh, because I'm involved in this company because in, in, instead of being involved with one sport, with men's basketball, I'm involved with 19 uh, which is all the different sports we handle on behalf of multiple governing bodies, including the NCAA and a ton of different conferences. So it has kept me so busy uh, that I really haven't had much of a chance to, to miss it. Now I'm on spring break with my family. I'm not working a whole lot, and I'm headed to the Final Four. Now my brain's starting to uh, play some tricks on me. But it, 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 I have truly filled the void uh, you know, with with the company, it's kept me involved in officiating in a big, big way. But last one from me, um, if I gave you the hat, kind of a commissioner of the day from an officiating standpoint, uh, what would you like to see from a restriction standpoint on either implementing challenges at the college level or how many times you can go to the monitor during the course of a game, particularly late in a game? Yeah, this is always a popular question. I, I if I were king for a day, uh, I, I tell you, I would just get rid of replay altogether. Uh, but then again, I'm comfortable with the human element. I'm comfortable with the fact that oh, oh boy, our fire alarms are going off here. Maybe I said the wrong thing. Is maybe the new president of the NCAA is listening? <laughs> sounded the alarms off here, but um, it'll give you something to talk about. But I, I just think. I just think that this expectation of perfection is not sustainable, and it's going to continue to make officials targets. 
Um, I understand that the gambling piece is an even bigger variable than ever, and there's some concerns with that as it relates to official security and safety uh, and, and the safety and security of their family, quite honestly. So I get the need for games to be officiated perfectly, but again, it's so subjective. What's that even mean? I think it's important that games end right. And what the NCAA has done with the last two minutes of rules related to replay is the smartest thing that could have been done. I think you're going to see more expansion to the replay rule in the future, and I think they're going to relegate it to end of games, and that makes sense to me. Okay, Bo, last thing, uh, for the sake of our listeners. Should we call 911? Yeah, should, do we need to call, take the stairs? Do not take the elevator. Take the stairs for the safety of you and your family, okay? Hey, let me look out the window here. I don't see. I think well, we're good. I think we're good. You know, the issue I always run into is I, I don't know which smoke alarm it is. You know, I'm making the whole family stop and wait and don't make a single sound, and then I've got to identify which one I needs thought, the batteries. I thought you were already in Houston and the Florida Atlantic Team Hotel, and some San Diego State fans thought it was like five in the morning. That, that old prank. Um, <laughs> Bo, do you ever get a chance? You and I've talked about this. It may be even on the air. I, I don't recall, but you know, for me. Like for example, when I work a race, when I'm when I'm broadcasting a race, there will be mm-hmm. moments in the race that later when I watch it, I don't recall because I'm like in a zone when I'm calling the race, and so I'm not watching the totality of the race if that makes sense. And then later when I watch it, it's almost surreal to me to think that I was there, and I'm like, gosh, I don't remember that happening. Does that happen to you when you watch replays of a game that you worked? Are you not able to fully appreciate? the level of play, the style of play, the magnitude of the moment until after the fact. It doesn't surprise me one bit that you don't recall what you just saw maybe an hour earlier, Jake, but I I can tell you that typically that as I've gotten older and, you know, work more games that that has happened less. I do have very specific recollections that somebody would say, oh, did you know that Edwards had 46 points? And I'm like, oh, we did? You, you know, so that has happened. But I think if, if you want to balance that art versus science, you have to be in tune with everything. Uh, who's beating who off the dribble? Who's uh, the number of fouls? Where we're at in the game? Do they have timeouts left? And I think with that mindset, as I've matured as an official, have, has prevented that from happening. But um, I know it's happened in my past, and and – I can tell you that I was embarrassed at times where people would say, hey, did you see so-and-so? And I'd go, no, I, I don't even remember that. So it has happened, but earlier in my career, for sure. After he gets his home secured and locked and everything safe and sound on that end, he is off to Houston for the Final Four, which he has obviously been a big part of here in recent years. Bo, always enjoy catching up with you. Safe travels. Enjoy Houston, and appreciate you fielding some of our questions today. You got it. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great day. Bo Borowski right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. You guys ever have that issue of just where, which smoke alarm it is? I'm like, upstairs, Well, I thought he was in a hotel. I I assumed he was like in a hotel, but then I guess you're right. He said he's not leaving until later today. Yeah, I've had that happen. Should I do the thing, Mark, where like you buy just a pack of batteries and just every single one? You do it at the same time? I literally bought a hundred pack of batteries. This is the easiest way to do it. That's not cheap. Easiest way to do it. It's my public service announcement. My mom does it for the wet leaves. I do it every year this time of year. I thought about Karen when it was raining last week. Every time 
now that we do in Indiana, we have daylight savings or daylight saving time. So the twice, the two times a year when you have to change your clocks, just then go ahead and change the batteries in your smoke detector. Mm-hmm. Then you'll never forget it. You just know, hey, the, the day that I got to change my clocks, I also change my battery. Now, it's I'm sure those batteries probably are designed to last for like three years or whatever, but that way you're good every time and you never forget to do it. That's solid easy. advice. I've had a couple two or three AMers and just, boy, you're in scramble mode. You crank the sound machine up even higher. When we when we lived in our, <laughs> when we lived in our apartment, we came back from like a weekend trip, oh. and it was going off. I'm like, did our neighbors not alert the like the office that this was going off? Yeah, you might be oh, a little goodness. bit worried about who you're living around then at that point. Yeah, uh, coming up at nine, Joel Erickson out at the league owners meetings. We will chat with him, and also for those that believe Vegas knows all. Anthony Richardson might be playing in the AFC South coming up this year. We'll explain more coming up next. Get a lot more into the Colts coming up here in a few with Joel A. Erickson, who was out at the NFL owners' meetings, sitting in with Shane Sykin and Chris Bowden and Jim Irsay. So looking forward to that. I don't know if you guys are believers in Vegas knows all. So I'm curious if you guys find this interesting at all. I've had a couple of people mention this to me. The Titans, as of Monday, their odds to draft a quarterback. And just to remind people, the Titans have the 11th overall pick. The Titans to take a QB with their first pick was 15 to one on the odds. That is now three to one on the odds. Will Anderson from Alabama, the defensive end, was the favorite to be the third overall pick. That has now changed to Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson to the Titans was plus 850 earlier in the week. It is now at plus 550. With a new GM in Nashville, should there be some smoke to the Titans trading up to number three to take Anthony Richardson? Well, it takes two to tango, first off, right? So what do they have to offer that would make that trade appealing to Arizona? Well, they seem to be in full sell mode. So, I guess player-wise, you would obviously have to look at that. Again, I don't know how much Arizona looks at it and says, we're win now. I mean, they have Kyler coming off the ACL. They have a new coach. They have a new GM as well. From a draft pick standpoint, I don't think Tennessee has a crazy amount of draft picks. Again, they have the 11th. Um, I assume they have their second and their third, things like that. It it would take quite the haul to move from 11 to 3, but I do think that Arizona is the team that is certainly fielding calls as they are the new pivot point in that draft i thought again not to get too into the weeds of gambling here usually when you see that stuff there's a reason why vegas reacts in that manner the uh the the titans have the 11th overall pick the 41st and the 72nd and to be clear it would take it would take a future for you know it would take yeah, a for sure. future first mm-hmm. something along those lines to move up to number 3 which well, obviously Didn't they say they were open to offers for Derrick Henry? I believe that is correct. I, I mean does he get thrown into that mix as well and now all of a sudden Arizona's like hey you know we've got a passing we know we have a vertical game now we have a running game to complement it in terms of a guy that could salt clock I mean I don't know. And I know his health hasn't cooperated but think of Rand Carthon their new GM he came from San Francisco. They made a big trade up for Trey Lance there. You know, Trey Lance, Anthony Richardson, maybe not the exact same quarterback, but certainly some similarities. Is that of appeal to him and Mike Vrabel as he takes over in 
Nashville. All right, Joel A. Erickson joins us next. Boy, I do love that music and that soundtrack. And I think if I had to guess, I know he's a really busy man out in Arizona, but you know, when I was fortunate to go to a owner's meetings out in Arizona, I made sure that a spring training game was fit in in some capacity. Joel A. Erickson, I'm unaware of where your brewers go for spring training, but did you get in any baseball when you were out there? I didn't. I didn't. I, wow, my flight that surprises me. Quite my flight out there didn't quite work, and their game was at 110 on Sunday. Trust me, I knew. I knew, but I, 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 that's right around the time I had to go pick up my credential and kind of hang around, and I talked to a couple people. But I did very much want to go. I very much wanted to go. I haven't been to a spring training game in about a decade, so, yeah, I really wanted to. Now, I have high respect for your baseball opinion, so we're going to have you put your NL Central uh, analysis hat on. Your outlook on the Central this year is what? Well, I hate to admit it, but the Cardinals are probably the favorite. And then uh, Milwaukee chasing them with uh, with with the Cubs. You know, depends on depends on a couple of the guys the Cubs signed. I think whether or not they're gonna whether or not they're gonna be be in the mix or not. But I still I still feel like Milwaukee's got a better starting staff. But I feel like St. Louis's lineup means that we're chasing them. All right. Jerry's happy. That's all I gotta say. Listen, no, to Jerry, Jerry, our Cardinals fan. Yeah, yeah. do you well, hate the Cardinals, Joel? As, as a Cardinals fan, I'm sure he, I'm sure he's disgusted that you have me on. Cardinals fans don't believe that any any other fans should exist. So, <laughs> well, Cardinal fans also are convinced that no other fans exist because no one's a fan like the Cardinals because they cheer the butt because they understand the game, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jake's got it. You got it down. Mm-hmm. You got it down. Yeah, after he going does. To, after going to school in Missouri for four years, I, I figured I figured all that out. Yes. Yeah, they they that was when Milwaukee was really bad. People would be like, "Your team's bad." I'd be like, "I I know, I get it." <laughs> to be fair to your Brewers, times have changed a bit, but yeah, uh, I would say it's probably a wise bet. As much as I hate to say it, too, bet on the Cardinals. Um, all right, as I mentioned, Joel, your work out there was outstanding. Credit to you and, and Stephen and Zach, and I know the Colts.com crew as well for. Getting that content and you know helping us, I guess, chat a little bit about it. So I've been looking forward to the conversation. Um, let's begin with the, I guess, the Lamar Jackson chatter. Uh, is it fair to say, Joel, that Chris Ballard was a little bit more politically correct and playing both sides of the fence on Lamar Jackson, whereas Jim Irsay potentially watered it down? Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly the way I, I kind of looked at it. You know especially after so many teams just kind of outright said, hey, we're not interested. You know, and it, it kept on happening this week. Um, you know, Pete Carroll, Dan Campbell, a couple of the other coaches that talked were asked about Lamar Jackson. were like, no, he's not really in our plans. Now, obviously, those guys have more solidified quarterback situations than the Colts do, but it still was kind of arresting to hear Chris say, hey, you've got to do the work on it. you got to look at it. And... And then, like six hours later or seven hours later or whatever it was, you know, um, Ursay was talking about all the stuff that that it takes to you have to give up and what that means for team building and stuff like that. And yeah, yeah I did think that I came away from Ursay kind of back to the point where I was thinking, ah, I don't know how much of a chance there is of this happening. So, do you think Joel Joel A. Erickson's our guest? He's on the Payless Liquors Hotline. the The market for Lamar Jackson or the lack of market for Lamar Jackson, would you say that that is more 
durability or lack thereof, or price tag and the fact that he does not have representation and is doing it on his own? I I think that, and I know this isn't a popular opinion, but I, I think that the durability issue and what you're guaranteeing to somebody who's been hurt the last couple of years is a bigger deal. And the, the reason I think that is because last year at this time, there were four teams publicly chasing after Deshaun Watson, um, which was honestly a much more problematic case uh, from ter- like what what you had to deal what you had to deal with in terms of reaction with Watson is to me what much worse than than just Jackson being his own agent uh, and and Watson ended up getting a guaranteed contract out of it you know the the biggest one the one that kind of set this Jackson or reportedly kind of set this Jackson thing in motion. And to me, if if all those teams were willing to go after Watson and one of them was willing to guarantee it, and everyone's saying no on this one, it it feels like there's got to be something extra that's a football reason. Because last year we found out the NFL is willing to overlook a lot if a guy can really play quarterback. And I I think the durability is probably, it seems like the most obvious one to me. Well, it's interesting, though, because in Watson's case, you know, in Lamar Jackson's case, the precedent would say that you're not going to get 17 games out of him, but you don't know that for certain. In Deshaun Watson's case, at least for the first year, you knew for certain you were not going to get 17 games out of him, and yet he got guaranteed. It seems to me, I I think, Joel, quite frankly, I think part of it could be because Jackson wants guaranteed money, there's a natural pushback by the rest of the owners to say, look, this is – we didn't like what Cleveland did with Deshaun Watson and giving him guaranteed money. We have to collectively, and I know that collusion is a word that people don't want to hear, but we have to collectively get together to basically put a kibosh on this right now before this becomes the precedent and is expected everywhere and it starts hitting our pocketbooks that heavy. Is that Well, you saw, you saw what Jim Irsay said about it. You saw what Irsay said about guaranteed contracts, and, and I want to make sure... You know, I think we've all been clarifying this, but when when Stephen asked him about guaranteed contracts, he was not he was asking from a league wide trend standpoint. He wasn't asking about Jackson in particular, so it's not a Jackson answer. But he he was asked about fully guaranteed contracts, and he said no. He doesn't believe they're good for the game. He looks at Major League Baseball and the NBA and thinks it's been bad for them. I don't know exactly. I don't, I don't know the details of what he means by that. He just feels like it's been a bad bad thing for those leagues and um yeah i i would assume as usual that ursay is not just speaking for himself there i think that there's a lot of times that ursay ends up speaking for the rest of the league i mean the daniel snyder case is a really good example of that from last fall where it felt like ursay was just the one willing to say out loud what some of the other owners have been thinking Again, Joel Erickson is with us here from the Indianapolis star he was out in arizona earlier this week tons of content up on the website from out there. Um, kind of shifting gears, Jim Irsay was asked um, you know, about Chris Ballard and, and just kind of where things stand with Chris heading into year seven, you know, expectations, hot seat, etc. It seemed to me, Joel, that really for the first time in a while, maybe ever, Jim Irsay's comments were not, oh yeah, we're fitting him for a gold jacket tomorrow. It, it was a little bit more tempered on the Chris Ballard front. Was that accurate? Yeah, he said, he said everyone, he, he kind of opened it by saying, um, cause I think what I asked was, do you like it, you know, the, it, there's been talk that 
he has to win this year to keep his job, or it, do you see him with Shane? And he said, I see him with Shane, um, but everyone has to be successful at their jobs, if they're a head coach or general manager. And he did, you know, he said later he's not on some quick hot seat, but you're, you're right. It wasn't quite as effusive as it has been in the past. Um, I still don't know that that means that this is a, I'm looking at this as a make or break year because there was some mixed messaging on that a little bit too, in terms of what their expectations are for the year. But I think realistically, you know, that if you're going to get a rookie quarterback and you're probably getting the third one off the board, Expecting someone to win the division seems a little bit. I, I just don't. I don't. I don't know if you could expect them to do that based on where they're where they're at. Like it seems like the Colts are heading towards more of a we have to wait and see what we have here. Um, but yes, no, I agree with you. It, it wasn't quite as effusive. He did. He did offer up a lot of the defenses he's offered up for Ballard in the past. But you're right. It. He's. I mean, it, he, there were no Michael Jordan comments. Now, Joel, uh, like there were like there were last fall. Let me ask you this. Let me let me tell you one thing that I saw that I found peculiar, and I think that you had an up close and personal uh, observation of it. Jim Mercer was talking to a couple of media members. I, I think you were one of them, and then some fella from the Commanders that's a henchman for Daniel Snyder came up and started recording it like he was going to put him on TikTok. Now, now, what 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 was going on there? Did you witness that? No, I actually missed that. I missed okay. that one. I was, I was busy writing at the time. I didn't realize that the owners, the owners part of that meeting had ended. What would you? You're aware of it, right? I mean, obviously, yeah. Somebody got a picture of someone from the Commanders, and Kevin made note of it too, using his phone to videotape Ursay's comments. I, on the surface, what that would appear would be that after Ursay made comments directly about Daniel Snyder, probably that the owner of the commanders wants to know what Ursay has to say and sent somebody out to, to document it. There's, there's been some weird stuff. There were a couple of weird statements from the commander's organization last fall. Like there was a weird statement they put out when he hired Jeff Saturday that said something like, we think everyone should be qualified for the jobs they have. Um, and it, it does seem like there's uh that Snyder took note of what Ursay said and kind of made it personal. It could, like, if they're doing that now, it's even weirder because one of the other things that came out of that is there are two actual bids for the for the the team now, official actual bids for the Washington Commanders. I mean, that was one of the that was one of the subjects of the meetings was uh, all the Washington guys. They 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 were as much as the rest of us were asking football questions and what's going on. They were asking the team's going to get sold. And it's it's weird to me. I guess it's not weird if you consider the history of Daniel Snyder and everything we know about him. But like, to all appearances, it seems like he's on his way out. And I don't understand why you'd still be taking these shots at Ursay when Ursay essentially kickstarted what's going to happen. What's going to happen is he, it seems like he's going to he's selling the team. Um, and so, yeah, I did see that, and I've seen some of the other commander's things where they make mention of the Colts. It's just weird to me, although, again, it's weird to me from a normal, logical perspective. It's not weird to me thinking about everything we know about how Dan Snyder has operated over the course of his time owning that team. And Joel Erickson is with us from the Indianapolis Star. Uh, Joel, another thing on the Ballard front, you know, you guys asked him about trading up to number one. Obviously, we saw Carolina do that with Chicago here a couple weeks ago. 
Um, his answer, it almost was like, you know, we hadn't done, we hadn't gotten there yet. It, you know, we, had, we hadn't done our full homework yet. I think the Shane Steichen hire a little bit late in the process potentially played into that. Um, what did you make of that answer from, from Boward? Well, so I asked him as a follow-up, I, I asked him, you know, do you, are you concerned at all that when you get through the process, once you've talked to all these guys, that you're going to feel like there was one guy above the rest that you had to have. Yeah, that's a great follow-up. And he said, he said no, and that's, that's kind of the stuff that was in the story about, about, no, we feel like there's enough depth in this class. And I think he didn't say this out, outright, but I think the, the unspoken part of that is they didn't feel it all off the tape because Ballard's, Ballard has repeatedly said this offseason, and he said it again in Arizona, that the tape is what matters most, you know. And so, um, off the tape, I don't think they felt like they just didn't feel like there was a borough or somebody that they need to move up with. You know, in terms of he kind of he kind of didn't want to say, and you understand why they don't want to say this. You know, uh, I think it was Stephen asked. You know, there wasn't a ton of separation in the quarterback class, and he didn't want to say that. But that is kind of what they're saying at the same time. Is there wasn't what they felt like a perfect prospect. And it seems like they feel some of these guys are close enough that it's not a big deal if they once they get through the process. Because the the process part of it that they hadn't done, obviously, he's, they they've done the tape work, they've gone to the games and and done all that. He was saying that the big thing was you got to talk to these guys, you got to you got to talk to them, you got to figure out stuff. And and we've all heard from Steichen how important that is in terms of figuring out who they are. So that's that's I think what was going on there. You know, I have always felt, Joel, I've said it a thousand times now and probably will a thousand more, Levis just seems like a Ballard kind of guy, but Richardson also, Kevin, to your point, I mean, Richards, you know, Ballard likes size and intangibles and things like that. Richardson has that as well. Do you think, Joel, is it possible what you're saying here? Is it possible that Chris Ballard is saying, you know what, I'm cool either way. We're going to stick right at four. We might get Richardson, we might get Levis, but I'm, I'm a, we'll work with whichever one is there. Well, he didn't want to rule out trading up or trading back, um, and 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 I know with with Ballard, you know, he likes to throw that stuff out there as possibilities. But Ursay kind of did the same thing. There was one point where Ursay said he said the five quarterbacks that could be worthy of taking high, um, which you know I just kind of made a mental note. You know, because everyone else has been saying four, and Ballard said had said four. Um, but I, I don't necessarily know that it's that. I think part of it is, you know, what KB was saying at the beginning. They didn't have Steichen, and Steichen is going to play a big role in this. Ursay said flat out, like, who fits Shane Steichen's system? I think in talking to Steichen over the, over the past couple of days and talking to Ballard, it's less about who fits Steichen's system and who's it's more about who fits the the mental profile that Steichen wants out of a quarterback. Because I've asked, and I'm, you know, KB's been a part of this too, but we've all asked Steichen a bunch of times if he has a prototype, and he doesn't. He's he's pushed back on that every time. Ballard said at one point, you know, it opens up the scouting for them because they don't have to rule people out because they don't fit a certain prototype at quarterback. Um, but he does care very deeply about. Uh, you know, is this someone who's going to work at it and work at it and work at it and, and be obsessed with it, and be obsessed with improving, be obsessed with loving the game? Uh, and 
that's, I think, the part with Steichen that, that they're still going through. They, well, I asked him about not really being at the pro days. I think without them, it, I think what, what Steichen said publicly was, you know, I think you can do your due diligence other than the pro days. I think, I think the, the meaning behind that is if you don't have the first pick, if you're not the Carolina Panthers and you don't have the first pick and you can't kind of force your way into the quarterback uh, next onto the, onto the quarterback's hip for the entirety of the pro day because you have the first pick, um, I think they probably feel like, you know, you're better off getting that, getting the stuff you want to get done in a top 30 visit where you can control what you get to ask and when you get to ask it. Yeah, I guess um, that's well said. Is, is why they haven't been out at the pro days. It's, a, it's different for Carolina. Carolina has the number one pick. Every quarterback has to, every quarterback has to do what they want at the pro day because everyone wants to be the number one pick. Yeah, I feel like the dominant trait for Shane Steichen is neck up. You know, physically, he's worked with a variety, but neck up, they're all wired in the same way, and that's what Shane wants in this selection. Okay, Joel, last one. Um, Ballard seemed to kind of stamp that Kenny Moore and Ryan Kelly will be around here. Um, let's say you get to the draft, which we're four weeks away from it, and maybe you draft two corners in round two or four. Maybe you draft an interior offensive lineman in round three. Do you think in any way we could get to the final day of the draft and Kenny Moore and or Ryan Kelly become like a Quincy Wilson or a Hassan Ridgeway, which I know is kind of a slap in the face to their level of play, but basically could you see them traded at some point during the draft? Not he didn't give that impression. He was pretty strong he was pretty strong on the idea that they'd be here. And I think, you know, in the scenarios you'd listed, even if they draft two corners, even if they draft they're already two corners down, um, you know. So even if you, they're already two corners down with the departures of Gilmore and Faison, um, they're they're already down, or they're not down in offensive linemen. But we kind of all talked about the need to add there. Those are spots they haven't added yet. So I, based on what he said, it would surprise me if they made that move at the end of at, at the end of the draft, based on the way he talked about it. Hey Joel, how'd you become a Brewers fan? Well, I'm from Wisconsin. That's how. What uh, what part of Wisconsin? I am from. I think, well, I, think I knew this actually. It's a tiny town about twenty minutes east of Eau Claire, and most people don't know where Eau Claire is. So, uh, Eau Claire is two hours east of Minneapolis. I'm I'm right at the edge of where farmland turns to Northwoods. Okay, so how far is that from Milwaukee? Four hours. So wow. you're two hours from the Twins, four hours from the Brewers, and you pick the Brewers. Oh, it's a state line thing, man. That's cool. It's the state line thing. <laughs> I can respect that. That's cool. Now, growing up, the Twins were obviously pretty good. No, uh, we went to we went to some Twins games. I went to more games at the Metrodome growing up than I did at County Stadium because of the distance. And when we went to some games, like I re- I had a bat, like a big Twins Kirby Puckett inflatable bat that I got when I was really little. And I think we went to a game there, not. Like the year that they won the World Series, the Twins were good, you know. Um, but there's there's a pretty strong, at least I always thought that there was a pretty strong state state pride portion of Wisconsin, and that that kind of always led you back to the Brewers, even though the Brewers were were much worse than the Twins the entire time I was growing up. I can respect that, though. I mean, that's cool for sure. Milwaukee's a great town, no question. Have, Joel- you, have you ever gone down the slide in the outfield? <laughs> No, no, but I will tell you this. I know exactly how much it costs to do that. And 
I know exactly how old my two older sons have to be to do it the first time. That's what I'll say about that. Wait, you, can, wait a minute. Can you share that with us? Not necessarily how old that your it, children have to it, be, but for a weekday game, for a weekday game, it's one hundred and fifty dollars. So you get like a ticket. It's like a ticket package and a behind the scenes package. But the 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 real carrot is you get to go down the slide. No way. That we're talking about the Bernie Brewer home run slide. Right? Okay, so that includes yeah. a ticket. You said. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it includes the ticket and everything, and you get to go down the slide, you do stuff pregame, and your kids, I think, have to be eight. Your kids have to be eight years old to do it, um, which which I get because, like, when you're there, it really is kind of – I bet when you're up on top of that thing, if you've got a fear of heights, which I have a little bit of one, mm-hmm, uh, same. I, I bet your knees are shaking a little bit. We have the two-seater, they have the slide. <laughs> pretty awesome yeah i I went to a brewers game i sat in the 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 worst seat in the house intentionally they played the reds actually when i was there for indycar a couple years ago uh it's cool stadium and i didn't the bernie brewer was just like hanging out up there on the slide just hanging nobody hit a home run though he never went down it when we when we go to games up there uh with my parents and stuff during the summer like my my kids always know where Bernie is at every moment of the game. <laughs> Heck yeah, yeah. Some people are like, "Hey, how's Corbin Burns' hair?" No, we're all about where is Bernie. First pitch today. Now, they, they each have a Bernie Brewer signed ball. He he, you know, he signed a ball for him. It's on their it's on their dressers up here. Gosh, I absolutely love that. The mullet will be in full effect at 220 today. Corbin Burns against Marcus Stroman from Wrigley. Joel, good luck to your Brewers, and thanks for all the insight this week, uh, indirectly and now directly. Yeah, you you bet. You bet. Thanks, guys. That's Joel Erickson right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Again, Indy Star, tons of content from the league meetings. Would you do, do a hot air balloon? Man, that's – you know, I've skydived. Do you say I have skydived twice or I have skydove twice? I think it's dived. dived. But... So I've skydived twice, and I don't know that I would do a hot air balloon. Yeah, Maddie's in the same boat. She's skydived twice. With some of my buddies and I were talking about hot air balloon the other day. No chance. I'm, I'm, no it, chance how, in hell. How, how high is the basket? Is it more than like – for me, it has to be at least above waist high. Because I would be uh, totally worried that I'm either going to tip out of it or... Yeah, I would just lay on the ground the whole time of the basket. I've heard it's very peaceful, but I... I... Mm -hmm. Yeah, peaceful. That definition is a little bit different for me. I think peaceful is being on the ground, drinking a beer, watching you go up in the hot air balloon. You do know that Wonder Bread, you know the Wonder Bread Indianapolis 500 hot air balloon connection, right? No, I don't think I do. Wonder Bread... Which I think they still make, right? Oh, yeah. The, the packaging of Wonder Bread is the blue and red circles mm-hmm. and yellow. They're balloons. Very iconic. The The original owner of Wonder Bread was at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway back when they had, you, you know, obviously originally the Speedway had hot air balloon races. So that was the reason for the balloon launch at the start of the Indianapolis 500. And the owner of Wonder Bread, I think it was 1923 or in the early 20s, was at the Indianapolis 500, saw the balloons, and that created in him the image in his mind of what he wanted as the logoing for his bread company. Wow. So there you go. Now, can we transition to begin the morning checkdown with a carb day announcement? Absolutely. Let's do exactly that. Excellent. The morning checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
If your favorite driver does not win the Indianapolis 500, you could perhaps say that that cuts like a knife, or you could say that the summer of 23 is going to be kicked off feeling like it's the summer of 69. And if your driver actually has a problem on pit road, you can say to him, don't worry, I'm going to come to help because I will run to you. Brian Adams is going to be the act for the Carb Day concert this year. The opening act, well, you could say one of the cars would be fast enough to be like a runaway train. Soul Asylum will open for Brian Adams. Look at that. You're on your game. Now, you don't want a tire to, of course, cut like a knife on race day. That would, that would <laughs> that not be correct. That would not, not be, be ideal. So we've got Brian Adams Friday at Carb Day. We'll, yep. we'll lead things off. You know, We'll have a PBR or two. Uh, and then Saturday is it Brad. It was Coors Banquet for you last year, right? It was Coors Banquet. Okay. I think we're going to uh, – is that an upgrade? Uh, we'll say it's a lateral movement. How's I, I kind of like Coors, both. Coors Banquet. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's like a transfer portal to a fu- you know mid major to a fellow mid major conference. Uh, Brad Paisley over at White River, right on Saturday. Yep. What is next on the big five hundred announcement list? That would be, I guess. Uh, now you start getting into like the dignitaries, right? So we get in a little green flag, green flag a little waiver, pace, car, pace car driver, etc. National anthem. Do we have an announcement on? Um, anthem singer again for back home again. Does that seem to be the thing now? Back home again is always now the Jim Cornelison, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, who my spotter is going to be? I mean, that's always a big announcement. Ooh, look Highly at that. anticipated. Yeah. Highly anticipated. I had to submit that already, by the way. A lot of people ask me about it. It's already been submitted. And you are bound for Dallas late tomorrow? Uh, correct. Leaving tomorrow at 5.50. This would be uh, a little test, guys. This would be the first weekend alone for Boo the Cat. Mm. I thought you might bring bring Boo with you. Might be having a party. <laughs> I think that's who his spotter is for the 500. That's right. <laughs> Talk that's about right. just darting around by, by in the turn way, three. I don't know. Was it either one of you guys be honest? Did either one of you guys send me something in the mail? No. Whoever it was that sent me, there was no attachment to it. I'd probably just hand it to you. Yeah, I don't know your address. Somebody sent me to my home address. Actually, it was simply made out to Boo Query, and it was a Clemson cat toy. Look at that. Clemson paw print on it. No. Well, so Mark, should we was, say it was us just to you know, hopefully Jacob feel, good graces. Yeah, feel better? Uh, about us. Uh, the Texas race, uh, number two on the IndyCar docket. Uh, first oval of the year coming up on Sunday. Coverage begins 11.30 on Sunday on this radio station. Last night over Gamebridge Fieldhouse, it was the Drew Holiday Show, which is saying something because Giannis had a triple-double by the third quarter. Or I should say midway through the third quarter. But Drew Holiday had 51 points. Jake, I thought you made a great you know statement kind of to lead off the show of like it was a quiet 51. It's pretty wild to see a dude that's 6'4", only hit three threes. I think he only made eight foul shots. He hit 17 two-point shots. Yeah. I mean, the mid, like the, the mid-range game and then just finding his way. Both hands. He's so good with impressive. his left hand. Totally. He's so good with that left hand. Um, he is a tremendous talent on both ends of the floor, again, married to the Ben Davis legend that is Lauren Chaney. Um, so the Bucks pulled away big time in the third quarter, and the Pacers continue to rest slash tank. Five to go. What have they lost? Six straight? That sound right? I'm looking at the sheet here. Only it four? Four straight, yep. Last win was at Toronto. Seems like a lot more than Last that. Wednesday, they are hosting Oklahoma City on Friday and then at Cleveland on Sunday. Three and a half back with five to go, so elimination is approaching. Uh, by the way, also in the association last night, Sacramento Kings now in the playoffs. 120-80 to 80 over Portland. They clinch a playoff berth for the first time since 2006. The Blazers, who've lost four straight, did get 30 out of Shaden Sharp, the kid that... 
Uh, played for Kentucky, but didn't play for Kentucky, but got a uniform and a swag bag and then went pro. Pick right after Benedict Matherin, right? I think that's right. Remember, he was in the mix. We, yeah, debated we that had, for a while. Yeah. Um, all right, coming up to close out the show, Mark Lowry, the Indy 11 head coach. Their season will get underway here coming up on Saturday. They've got a lot of home games coming up in the month of April. The pop quiz, though, is next. So 317-239-1070. Give us a call for the pop quiz. Has to move out of the state. Whoa. Yep. You sound like Greg Doyle with Carson Wentz there. I feel like you laid down that rule before and then someone got it wrong and you, you cowered away. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> Are you, you saying that stand by you didn't stand Jake outside was unable house. to deport them yeah. from the state of Indiana? Excuse me, sir, you gotta move. Just for my decree. Wait till I become mayor. Oh yeah. Yeah. I haven't heard your ad running yet. Well. You might want to get on that. Mm-hmm. No See, comment. I would, there. Have to, I would have to leave Easy the now. job, but I'm telling you. You just wait. You know that's a that's a I was at North Central the other day and somebody said, I don't know if you know, but on Twitter a lot of people say Jake should be mayor. And I said, Well, most notably I say that. Yes, yeah. that's correct. I've seen your burner accounts. I've seen it. <laughs> I just had a couple of nice vending machine purchases. Yeah, what 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 do we have there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't do this often. But it's kind of a quick turnaround today for me uh-huh. to get down to Bloomington. I was like, yeah, I might might not be able to get lunch in. Uh, I went with pizza combos. Okay, that's always a winner. Yeah. Uh-huh. Great and, uh huh. And brown sugar pop tarts. Oh, it's the breakfast of champions. You know, last Thursday it was the Longs Donut and the shirt off. Today, shirt on, and we'll go there. Okay. I don't know if you know that or not, but that that vending machine actually, I don't think that's been restocked since uh, actually the last time the Kings were in the playoffs. Well, a little bit of a crunch to the combo. <laughs> a little bit more than I recall uh-huh. in past years. Uh, all right, Jake, we got to do this somewhat quick. Uh, number one through eight? Uh, we'll go with number three. Number three, Don. What's, What's up, Don? Don? Hello, how you doing? Don, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm on the radio. Let's go. <laughs> Don, is this the first time calling? Well, I've called a few times, haven't gotten through, but I listen to you guys on the way to work in the morning. And, and work oh, is where, Don? You, Don? What line of work are you in, Don? Well, I've retired from the post office, but I'm uh, driving for Recovery Centers of America, helping uh, people uh, overcome their addictions. Okay, well, that's for you, cool, Don. Man. That's Good awesome. for you. Good for you. Uh, Don, would you like for me, that would be uh, Jake, or would you like for Kevin to lead you off with question number one? I'm going to go with Kevin today. All right. All right, Don, let's get it started here. By the way, are you a Brian Adams fan for Carb Day? Oh, yeah. Great. I could see you second or third row there coming up. Um, All right, number one, the Major League Baseball season opens today. Uh, Which cheaters won the defending World World Series champions? The Astros, the Phillies, the Braves, or the Dodgers? Oh, good Lord. Uh, Think about the name of the dog on the Jetsons. Astro. <laughs> okay. Question number two. The I NIT cheater would resonate, but I, but I guess not. Uh, the NIT is down to its championship game. By the way, did you go with Kevin first because you like him more than you like me, Don? Uh, Kevin just sounds like a cool dude. Thanks, Don. Do I not sound like a cool dude, Don? I appreciate that. Jake, you, sat, you sound like a school teacher. <laughs> well, I'm wow. the son of two teachers, so I take a little yeah, offense I mean, to that, Don. Gosh, wow. <laughs> okay. We can have some Pop-Tarts later, Don. All right, Don. Uh, the NIT is down to its championship game. For the fourth time in history, conference opponents will face off for the NIT championship. Which conference will be the sole representative in tonight's NIT title game? The Big Ten, Conference USA, the WAC, or the SEC? Uh, 
a good one. I have made my I'll, even, I'll even give you the schools. North Texas and UAB. Are they members of the Big Ten, the Conference USA, the WAC, or the SEC? WAC. Okay. Don, they've got a representative in Saturday's semifinal game as well. Okay, let's see. Number three, Don, on this day in 1981, and this is the question that Jake said if you got wrong, he would deport you from the state of Indiana. I'm going to stand up for you, though, Don. On this day in 81, IU won its fourth NCAA men's basketball championship, defeating North Carolina 63-50 at the Spectrum in Philly. The leading scorer in the 81 championship game was who? Isaiah Thomas, Sam Perkins, Al Wood, or Randy Whitman? Oh, man. See him I, watched every, I watched every minute of that game. I'm trying to think. Who's... He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Kind of spinning around after winning it all, bouncing around with the ball in his hands. The headline Isaiah. said, and a child shall lead them. Isaiah. Okay. Question number four. You get a stay, Don. The longest playoff drought in NBA history is over as the Sacramento Kings clinched a berth for the first time since 06. Which NBA team now owns the longest active playoff drought? The Orlando Magic, the Detroit Pistons, the Charlotte Hornets, or the Houston Rockets? Ooh. Uh, about, uh, let's go with the Motor City Boys. Okay. Pistons. Uh, kind of crazy to think the Pacers are about to be on that list, not like... At- not at the top of that list, but it's about to be a third straight year for the Pacers. Um, all right, Don, to close things out, uh, what was the Kings franchise known as the last time it reached the NBA Finals? It's also the same nickname, different city, of course, of the team JMV is going for this year in Major League Baseball. Oscar Robertson played for him. With Was it the Kansas well, City Kings, the, the Cincinnati oh. Royals? Don't take my hint, sorry. The Rochester Royals, or the franchise has never reached the NBA Finals? Well, if Oscar played for him, it had to be Cincinnati. No, I, I, I screwed you up there. Uh, it was it different different time period. What's that city in New York called? Starts or uh, right it, franchise, different city. Starts with an R. R Royals. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, I'll give it to him because I screwed him yeah. there by telling him Cincinnati Royals. It was the you Rochester have to move Royals. now. You get out. <laughs> That's right. Well, uh, I didn't see the disclaimer of the last time they reached the finals. I thought it was just what was the Kings franchise known as. All right, the defending World Series champion, Don, got this one right. Indeed, the Astros. Yes! Number two, man, I thought we would get there with those hints, but I guess conference with Conference USA realignment, it's hard. with North Texas and UAB. You blew it! SEC, of course, not. You don't get to come back tomorrow. I say it was you correct. You don't even get a lousy copy of our Rochester Royals game. correct. Charlotte Hornets You're with seven seasons longest drive. Don, thank you for listening. <laughs> And for the excitement about calling in for the pop quiz, I'm Mid Combo. We'll close things out with Mark Lasso. Well, Ted Lasso action by Mark Dykton to close things out. And speaking of Mark, he leads the Indy 11. His name is Mark Lowry. If I'm not mistaken, we asked him about Ted Lasso last season. I'm sure that's a very popular question he gets, especially when you have interviews with uh, maybe non. Uh, pitch aficionados would that be a way to describe us yeah. potentially uh mark Season larry three's great by the way joins us now on the payless liquors hotline coach are you a fan of ted lasso 
big Ted Lasso fan actually watched the third episode of the new season last night. So yeah, well worth <laughs> yeah. the Ted Lasso talk. The Ted Lasso talk. <laughs> do you, do you cater your, your your coaching? Do you see similarities? Do you see differences? Um. Oh, I think I know a bit more about the game than he does. <laughs> but, but there's definitely little bits and pieces to learn about dealing with human beings. I think Ted is a genius when it comes to that stuff, getting the best out of people and, and relating to them. So there's some good little thing that nuggets in there. You know, that it leads to an interesting question, and that is coaching in general, but we'll, we'll go to you know when you're coaching a soccer club, how much of it is just the mesh of personalities and fig, you know egos probably when you're talking about professional mm-hmm. athletes and figuring out the best combination not only from a playing standpoint but from personality standpoint is that applicable in real life? Oh, massively, one hundred percent. I'd say that's probably more than fifty percent uh, is going to determine whether you're successful. Even more so, the higher you go up because the better the players. I mean, the talent levels there. The coach's job is getting them to kind of collaborate together and, uh, and work as a team and, uh, and that type of stuff. So the higher you go up, I actually think it's even more important. A lot of home games here for Indy 11 to start the season. Again, Mark Lowry is with us, their head coach. Um, coaches, you guys get ready to kick things off. What do you like? What do you maybe not like slash worried about with your team? You know, we, we, we've put together a, a really good roster this season. Um, the quality that we've brought in. Uh, is fantastic. I think it's one of the strongest losses this club's had in a long time. And the first two games have been great. Two road games in Tampa and Detroit. Historically really difficult places to go. Um, and we're unbeaten. We've come back with four points, a, a tie and a win. Um, so we're looking really good. The confidence is great. Um, I mean, if, if we're if I'm being pessimistic, I would say there's a little concern of you know depth. And if we get injuries, kind of how that looks. And obviously, this is a long season. Um, next week, we like you, you just alluded to, we got three home games next week, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, which is difficult. Three games in a week, so we'll see how the group can handle that. Um, but I think injuries will be our Achilles heel this season. If, if we pick up a few of those, then things might be difficult. But if we can keep everybody healthy, we have the talent, we have the quality, and, and the staff and myself, I think, are doing a really good job of, of kind of putting it together on the field and, and allowing it to collaborate together and, and have those relationships. Is it easier to build a roster around being an offensive team or is it easier to find guys that allow you to be strong defensively and then take your shots in terms of offensive opportunity? Um, the second one. Um, attacking and <coughs> scoring goals and that creative piece, it's, uh, it can be hit or miss. Um, form factors into that. You know, players get hot at different times, different seasons. Um, you know, things like that. They're kind of outside of a coach's control. To factor into it, but in terms of building a team that's strong defensively, I believe that's 100% within the coach's control. That's uh, the work we do, the X and O's, kind of, there's a lot more rules that go to defending. If we do this and we do that at this moment, we'll keep a clean sheet or we'll stop that goal. But with attacking, it comes down to a little bit more of the, the creative element of, of, of a player and, and, and the individual quality, which, which is outside of a coach's control. So I think building a team from the back to the front um, is the easiest way to do it. Coach Mark Lowry is with us. Uh, Indy 11 gets their season underway. Las Vegas this Saturday. Oakland next Saturday. So start with a couple of you know, Western time zone teams there to begin the year. Uh, four of their first five at home. Coach, I was looking online. I saw you guys had a uh, men's open tryout back in January. 
Uh, my soccer ability is non-existent. I'm curious, like, what does a men's open tryout look like? I mean, do people actually make the team from that? Um, it's it's essentially anybody can come out and they get a weekend, uh, a few hours in front of us playing games. Uh, and we can assess the talent and ability level. And nobody this season made the team. They have in the past. Um, but this season, nobody's, nobody's earned a contract and made the team. We brought a couple of guys back in for training to kind of get more of an extended look at them. You know, some high-level college players that came into the tryout. It, it can be a bit of a, a mismatch, uh, a mismatch, whether, it, whether it's older guys that kind of want to try one last time, guys that have never played before, they just want to come out and have fun. Or you get you get the guys that are out of college and are serious players, and they want to kind of start their career as a professional. So you get a, a varying uh, level of ability. Those things are kind of sorting through it and kind of find the one or two that might have a chance, and then you bring them back for some training, obviously with your group now with better players, where you get to really see what their level looks like um, against them with guys that play playing our league. Yeah, I'm picturing after five minutes, you're just like, yeah, man. Uh, go to off the wall sports. So, uh, yeah, I don't know why you're here. <laughs> exactly, there are a few of those. Hey, coach, I wanted to ask this. You know, you mentioned injuries. I mean, obviously, you always want to stay healthy. The reality is, especially in the rigors of that sport, um, you know, it's not always going to be the case. So, in terms of the things that you can control as a club. What keeps you up at night? What's the one thing that no matter how many times you, you, you position it around, you just don't know exactly where your team stands? I think the game of soccer itself does that to you. There's always an element of unknown whenever you start any game. Uh, and it's probably the same in any sport. I really can't speak of other sports. I've never coached them. But in soccer, no matter how well you've prepared and how good your team is, on any given Sunday, I think that's the expression, right, in football, on any given Sunday or any given Saturday for us, Anything can happen, right? Referees can make calls. The weather can play a factor. There's certain uh, external things that, that, that do keep up at night because you, you you start to wonder if that will affect the game and how will it go. We can play the perfect game and still lose. That's, that's sports, right? That's why it's so great. That's why everyone loves it because it's, it, it's, it's unpredictable at times. So those things keep me up. But really, I think as I, as I get older and as I get more experience to coach and go through this, this is my sixth or seventh year now as a, as a head coach, you start to kind of leave those things to the side and just focus on things you can control. Um, it's difficult to do that, but that's what you have to do. Okay, without giving any um, spoilers, for those that have watched Ted Lasso, and sorry to go back to that coach, but the player on the roster of Richmond and Ted Lasso that most resembles the typical soccer player at the professional level in terms of approach, ego, etc. Which character is the most realistic to you? Oh man, that's a, that's a, that's a really difficult question. You get them all. Um, you, you get guys of all different kind of personalities. There are the, the Jamie Tarts that you know need kind of humbling a little bit. You know, and I think Ted did a great job with Jamie. Now he's bought into the team, so you have to go through that process with some players. And they come in with a, uh, you know, a mentality of, of, of they're, they're more important than the group and you have to work through that with them and kind of show them that's, that's not the case. If we work together, we can be stronger. And then there's guys that are just are all about the team. Um, I think you see, I think it's Sammy, is it? Is one of those guys uh, on the show that's, he'll do anything for the team. I think, he, you know, he took them out for dinner last night on the show, not to spoil it, but there's, there's, there's things like that, right? That there are guys that are just truly team first and, We'll do whatever it takes, whenever it takes it. Um, so we, we get we get the whole plethora of, of players, and it's my job to kind of figure out who they are quickly, 
and help them kind of buy into the team. Coach, last one for me. I actually, if you don't mind, want to go back to the World Cup final and, and just for like a casual sports fan like myself and, you know, again, or I should say a casual soccer fan like myself, just the hype around it, the game living up to that hype. It, like I was in awe watching it as someone that's so into the sport as you obviously are. What were your thoughts on what we saw back with uh, Brazil or uh, Argentina and France? I think it was a high quality game. The intensity and, 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 and the entertainment value in the game was superb. I think, you know, I, I kind of hit on earlier, it can be unfair at times, but I do think the right team won that game. It went to pens, it went all the way, right? Which I don't think it should have. But cause I think Argentina were the better team for 80 minutes of the 90. Argentina were by far the better team. But France had that five, 10 minutes where they put in a couple of goals. And that's what I'm saying about the game, right? You can do everything you, in your in your power to set up, but momentum's a, a crazy thing and France got that momentum and kind of pulled it back and, you know, I was glad Argentina won the end, but it was a great game of football. Um, the entertainment factor, the, 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 the level of the player, um, I think Messi getting the, his trophy was, was huge for him in the game and he fully deserves it. So, I think it was a great tournament all in all and from a football perspective. There's obviously a lot of controversy going into it. Um, but from a, from a purely football perspective, what happened on the field I thought was, was, was really good. This Saturday night, Carroll Stadium, it will be Indy 11 getting their season underway. Again, four of five at home here to start the year. Coach, good luck. Always enjoy our conversations, and thanks for hopping on. No problem. Thanks, guys. Take care. Mark Lowry right there. It sounds like he's on the pitch, Jake. (laughs) That's right. The wind's whipping up there at Grand Park. He's getting ready to – Ted Lasso is great, by the way. Not to take away from the 11. You've, yeah. you've tried to spoil it for me like four different times this morning. I haven't. I haven't said a thing about it. I had to turn my headset up earlier when you and Mark were discussing it. I don't think we – well, Mark, you are – now, we were trying to figure out if the latest one that just came out is episode three or four. Oh, I don't know. I think it's three, right? And now, I will say – and again, I don't know if this is your age, if this is – the fact that you are the father of Boo, but your yeah. maturity there to withhold your British accent for Mark Lowry. Oh, we've done it for him before. He knows it's all that. Episode three, by the way, is the latest one. Yeah, it was the right? third one. Yeah. And let's not yeah, act like just funny. because you've done it before with him would have ever stopped you in the past. I have two wildly popular, by the way. And I mean, I go out in public. Kids in particular just love the British accent. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm have, sure kids. Yeah. I have uh-huh. two, yeah. yeah child have, Protective Services, or what's the number for that? I have the old guy with the pipe, and then I have the enthusiastic pub-crawling soccer fan. It just depends on which one you like. You Which I, mean? I guess, to be fair, is Ted Lasso characters, right? Uh, that's right. Yeah. Do you like the Beatles? There's that guy. That's right? a new one. What's like that? Yeah, that was one. a little new. You're not familiar mm-hmm. with that one? No. Uh, 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 that one I know. That <laughs> is again. If Jim Irsay and Boris bumbling. Johnson had a kid, I think that that yeah. would. That's what that sound is. I was watching the eleven, that taken <laughs> to the pitch against Las Vegas. Yeah. See. Oh, it's, it's gonna be a long mean, three hours tomorrow. What's that? It's gonna be a long three hours tomorrow. If you're busting out that already. You too, in the saddle. I'm off to Cincy. Are you after Bob Costas? Extra pounds tomorrow. I think the Reds. The Reds are winning. Hunter Green's getting it done. Marcus Stroman. Are you going to the game? Corbin Burns. No, he's no. not. Going. No, that's right. No, unfortunately not. Wait a minute. You're going to Cincinnati for a day? Uh, well, Thursday night, Friday night. Okay. You couldn't have done that on a weekend. Squeeze that in. Got a little work time. Rosie spring I mean, break. Mark and I'll have fun for sure. Uh, you gotta take, now they have take a, care of the children. Are you going to Jungle Gyms? I think we will be doing some indoor activities tomorrow yeah. because the weather looks awful. Oh, Newport really? Aquarium. Yeah. Ooh, that's, that's a fun one. Do the shark uh, walk. Okay. Shark walk. Noted. Mm-hmm. 
All right. It's a fun one. That's a really cool If experience. anyone has any Cincinnati kid-friendly suggestions, feel free to message, message, message them my way. Easier said than done. And Jake, you are Dallas-bound. You said late Friday? Dallas-ish I'm bound? i headed to Texas. Do <laughs> you have a Texas accent you want to throw out there, too? What's that? You got Mark six. You got go to the PBR gas station on the way home. Go to the gas you. station and see you if know, that flies. You know that the Texas Motor Speedway is literally across the street from a Bucky's. There you go. Like you go in there. Like I'll never forget one of the one of the great cross cultural, you know, things I've ever witnessed was strolling through Bucky's and buying like rattlesnake jerky with Sebastian Bourdais. <laughs> I feel like gas stations in Disney <laughs> World great. are where you can test out your accents and no one's gonna, no one's gonna second guess it. That's right. I got them. What are you talking about? Will Rosie be up for the shark walk? I mean, it's pretty fun. I, my my little ones have done it. Look, it usually takes Rosie about twenty minutes to get acclimated to any walk? setting. So it's they like a it's like a, a leash. What, what, what no, goes it's on like there? a giant. It's like giant netting above a shark tank, and you walk over the shark tank. So the sharks are swimming underneath you. Oh, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, if I'm gonna guess, Rosie, well, you might here, just like they have here at the zoo where you walk through. You might be able to hear Rosie screaming from the studio here. It's and, well. And, I mean, you're not gonna fall in. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying that, Mark. I, I didn't know if that was a special you package you could chili? buy. Pay a little extra, and they cut uh, the nets for you. Frisch's Big Boy will be on the agenda, okay. along with some LaRosa's action. You guys have a great Friday. Everybody have a great weekend. Uh, Enjoy opening day.